Scott, I've lost telepathic contact with the other X-Men. I think we're the only ones left. In here. It's too shallow. They'll spot us. Leave that to me. We're safe. For now. June, we don't have much time. There's so much I feel. So much we haven't done. So much I want to say to you. Where I'm concerned, it's the thoughts that count. And yours, like you, are beautiful. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with, well, nobody. Yeah, we uh, we already recorded the episode and everything. Uh, it's just like picked up right in the middle, and uh, there was no introduction. So I wanted to throw something here at the beginning. What you're going to get is the second part of our coverage of Uncanny X-Men's issue 137. So if uh, you're following on a CBR or if you're reading a, a handheld copy of that X-Men issue, it is on page 27. And it's uh, the page, uh, that's where it picks up on. And it, that's the page where Wolverine finds himself within the Watcher's Sanctum. So, uh, you know, the, there's a lot, lot going on here. Of course, we finish this issue. We discuss a, a number of things about what's going to be happening over the next couple of weeks on Third Degree Burn, both with Tim and myself and the interns, uh, David Thompson and uh, John Hyatt. And uh, we'll be reading some uh, uh, listener feedback. So just sit back, enjoy, as Third Degree Burn covers the Dark Phoenix Saga here on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. All right. All right. So here we are on the next page. And <laughs> smooth. <laughs> you like that, huh? That was very natural. That was very natural. Yeah, but looking at the next page, I can't get my. I cannot look away from this green plant next to Wolverine. Is it a plant? Or it's is it asparagus? Some sort of, it, it's okay, moon asparagus. But it's got some, unfortunately, very phallic, phallic. appendages <laughs> on it. Yeah, I mean, looks a little bit like a triffid. A triffid. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I mean, it's yeah, because it's got the the head sticking up. It's got the the leg sticking out with a boxing glove on it. And <laughs> is, is he in Leandro's room? No, this is the watcher. This is the no, watcher's I lair. I, I know. <laughs> and you know, uh, we also got uh, hey, the watch. The watch is a lonely guy, you know. <laughs> hey, yet, the watch. first thing he does is kick somebody out of his place. Come on. Well, hey, you don't want somebody yeah. crashing into your house. Come on. Yeah. Now, before we actually uh, started recording, we were talking about this scene and the fact that uh, it mirrors um, the segment in Fantastic Four thirteen, where page twenty one. Yeah, where the Red Ghost um, gets uh, into the Watcher's lair. And so if you look at that and you look at this, you're going to see some, some very similar scenes, especially the, uh, the, the volcanic planet segment, a dinosaur segment, and um, Wolverine getting kicked out on his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of, the, all of the panels except for the first one where we see Wolverine, um, where he first ent- uh, dropped into the, the room there, are all redrawn and i'm really particularly interested in the the one that shows the the volcano planet which is almost like an exact duplicate of that panel <laughs> it's really cool yes does uh so, the, does the watcher's big head remind anybody of the nc uh, mcp from tron <laughs> <laughs> well now it does <laughs> i'm gonna have to make sure that i write write down next time uh 
I'm in an argument. Wolverines. Wait, this is it. Wolverine or the Watcher? I'm trying to. Okay, very well. If words will not persuade you, let actions take their place. <laughs> yeah. Start using that at work. Yeah, right. I was trying yeah. to get my daughter. Maybe. And the Watcher her. is very supreme intelligence like here. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But I love this line. I am pledged never to interfere. Yet I do in the lives <laughs> and affairs of beings whom I'm observe all the time. It's almost like you need Deadpool in here to, to give you right. the sides on this. Oh, however, I am yep. permitted to warn you of the many dangerous devices I have in my home. It would have been great here if they had put an asterisk, you know, kind of some self uh, revocation, you know, where uh, they put uh, right after the beings whom I observe a little asterisk and said, except for this issue, this issue, this exactly. issue, this issue. <laughs> See here, 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 and here. See the yeah. following issues where he uh, he did interfere. <laughs> interferes. Yeah, but who's going to take credit for that, Louise or, or Sneaky Salakrip? Yeah, Jim. <laughs> now, I, has has uh, Byrne himself ever commented as to why he decided to homage this page? Because it's it's very interesting as to why one one why he would do this it's a totally it seems irrelevant uh page or irrelevant action for him to bring wolverine into the watcher's home except i guess to establish that the watcher is there but i, I mean but i wonder why he decided to homage so so faithfully that page from fantastic 413 because it was the 17th year i mean that's not a very significant year it's not like 20 or 25 or something like that so does anyone know have you have you um, has he talked about this somewhere you know i have i have not read on that myself i know that um of course he had always had this fascination and love for the works of kirby uh, especially fantastic four his first fantastic four book was issue five and you know he's just always had a love for it in in, in early in his career you saw him do a lot of homages to the works of Kirby. And so seeing this in that doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. Okay. Now, whether or not, you know, he prepared Chris Claremont for that. I don't know because no, no, I mean, I, it, it, it could have been Claremont's idea. We don't know. He could have said, Hey, how about we, um, but I, I kind of agree. I think it's, I know his love for Kirby is probably the reason why he did it. Mm-hmm. And he likes to, he likes to make little references either to his own work or to previous works. Yeah. It's always a nice sign of respect. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Before yeah. You. Definitely is. It's 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 nice. I like it. I think it's really cool. But I was just wondering if he, it's why he, if he said why he specifically didn't. I mean, it, it it is a little out of place. I mean, you could you could excise this from the book and it wouldn't make a difference. Um, the only thing it does is it does kind of. It doesn't incapacitate. Yeah, it flummoxes him so that when he gets out, and you get to, that way, you get the scene with him and uh, what we got Storm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And here he comes out and gets released from uh, the Watcher's home, and there he is with Storm on the next page. Yep. And you can't fool Wolverine very easily because uh, my instincts, my senses are telling me <laughs> this ain't her. <laughs> well, this should, I guess it shows that apparently a scroll does not, their shape-shifting ability does not uh, go so far down as to their pheromones or smells or, 
or uh, anything like that. So, yeah, you know, I'd be curious. I, it's been so many years since I read uh, Secret Invasion. If uh, Wolverine still had that ability to it to de- uh, detect, you know, an imposter, a scroll. Well, I mean, again, this is Storm, who he had spent so much time with. That's true. That he knows, you know, everything everything there is to know. He knows how she stands, how she smells, you know, and when she's when she's afraid, how she smells, or when she's happy, how she smells. It, it's all different, and relative. Well, and he, even he's not one hundred percent sure because when he flips her, yeah. he says, "I hope I'm not making the biggest uh, making a big mistake, lady." You know, so he's yeah. not. It's just a gut instinct that he thinks there's something telling him this is not her. Mm-hmm. Doesn't this same kind of scene play out a little bit in Days of Future Past with Mystique? Yes. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't recall for sure. Yeah, but I still. Yeah. I, I, again, but as I, it turns out, it's definitely not Storm. It is that <laughs> pesky, tricky, deceitful scrawl. And I don't Raxor. think anybody draws a scrawl better than John Byrne. I agree with you. He does the best scrolls. I love I love the way he does scrolls. Well, he emphasized the uh, the 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 ridges or not the ridges the on the chin the, the chin, chin. The, yeah which the bone uh, structure in the yeah. face and yeah. they are a little more human like I mean if you look at the way Kirby originally drew them they were much more they had much bigger ears they looked more yep. goblin esque goblin exactly yeah. and, and that's why I thought they did a great job with them on in uh, Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel when they translate them to the big screen. Yeah, they did a good job. And then there is the classic Wolverine claws out on, on the next page. <laughs> Don't mess with me. Yeah, and a very scared scroll arm out. Oh crap! <laughs> yeah, very quickly went from "I am your death" to "No, wait a minute." <laughs> right. I'm You're not I love that panel next to him where he's getting zapped. Just the the play, it's, it's all almost monochromatic. It's that's, uh, but you get such a sense of the the light and the shadow when he's getting zapped um, by the Kree. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is cheating. It's cheating. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Said enough. <laughs> but now, of course, these guys they start their little battle here. Mm-hmm. And we know that, of course, that in Mar- the Marvel Universe, that it continues on into which is, is that Fantastic Four annual. It's um, eighteen. Eighteen or seventeen? I had it written down. Yeah, that, that, that carries over. And uh, but in the uh, Phoenix the Untold story, do I tell? Do I dare tell this? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they say that they killed each other. Battle to the death, huh? It was a battle to the death. But that, that makes sense. I mean, in the annual, they apparently fight for years because each one are kind of equally balanced or equally matched so that it just um, goes on and on and on. But I've got an yeah. odd admission. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, uh, two things. So one, the beast that Burn draws that the scroll turns into is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Looks <laughs> looks like... Um, it's like a Christ. <laughs> Yeah, you remember the original Critters movie from the yeah. 80s? <laughs> Looks like that, but like exactly. super beefed up. Um, yeah, very, very terrifying creature. I could, you know, that's like a nightmare fuel if you were a small, small I child. Lo- I love the transition shots from the scroll. Like you mm-hmm. can see his head and then you can mm-hmm. see two transitions before it actually becomes that, that full creature there. 
Yeah, and that was my other comment um, or observation. In the previous page, we see there was there's the four um, side by side faces, right? Originally Storm, and then you get two as he's morphing back into his scroll uh, form. Mm-hmm. You know, so very very uh, good. Uh, you know, artistic representation. You know, we talk about the the pictures doing the storytelling, right? These two pages right here, uh, very much like we've seen in the previous issues, you could not read any of the text on here, and you would know, okay, we've got Wolverine, and here's Storm, but Wolverine's not too sure. Okay, he's throwing her. Why is he throwing her? Oh, okay, Storm, you know, changed into a scroll. It wasn't really Storm, and then the battle that takes place, uh, you know, on the next page again, just great, really, really nicely done. Mm-hmm. No, on the next page, they've got that se- segment at the bottom where Nightcrawler is moving around and he spots Manta. And the f- the first segment, you know, it looks like he's been he's been running down trying to get down there, and he's coming around the corner. And for whatever reason, as I see this image, I hear my dog coming around the corner in the hallway and his tail banging on the walls. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, that's sad. It's sad that, that, that I think of it that way, but it's like because of the tail and, and the way he's. It looks like he's running. He's making a whole, you know, not necessarily a whole lot of noise, but you can hear that the little pitter patter of the his whatever you want to call those two toed feet. I think it would sound kind of like someone barefoot running. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like Chucky running through the hallways. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of which, there's the reboot coming. I don't yeah. think it looks as as scary as the original. Oh, I hate the redesign of Chucky too. Yeah, I know. that's that's a whole nother show. I love I love what they did in Ready Player One with, with Chucky. <laughs> One of the funniest scenes in the movie, and that's a good movie. That is a good movie. But yeah. you can't repeat what they said in that scene. Right. Anyway, I but, I agree though with your tail observation because when he, um, I've always understood that the the tails on animals is like an extra. You know, uh, uh, you know, sensory perception, right? Yeah. Uh, you know that it gives them a, you know, additional ability. Um, when you look at, at Nightcrawler in the next page, look at his tails tucked tight next to yeah. his leg, mm-hmm. as not to, you know, betray his position or to make noise, like what cats do. Mm-hmm. I really love the texture of that image, the zipatone or whatever it is that they're using in the shadowed mm-hmm. backgrounds behind Manta, and then making that machinery the purple that it is. Uh, it, it even kind of flows with the architecture of the stuff in the in the, the frame above. Yeah. Well, you can see that he's actually disappearing because when he's going yeah. into the shadows, all you see are his eyes. He's literally, you know, supposedly he comes almost invisible in shadow. Up on the uh, next page. Yeah, when he's when he's up up in the uh, up yeah. in the kind of <laughs> climbing on that with her in the foreground, you, you see him. It looks like he's almost turning invisible. Yeah. Which, that used to be a big part of his uh, abilities. Yeah. I think. Uh, when Dave Cockrum created that way back when at the beginning, and it was kind of a big part of his ability that he would disappear into the shadows that you couldn't see him. Although then they just showed the eyes so that we, the reader knew where he was. So I, I like that I, too. I think as that I understand a- it, Byrne Cockrum and Claremont all never came together on how that worked. They all had their own ideas and thoughts on it. And even in here, um, Byrne didn't agree with the dialogue that he gave Manta because it makes it seem like she has 360 degree, you know, like infravision. Yeah. Or whatever. 
But if she can sense heat, she might be able to sense something behind her, but not necessarily with her eyes. She, she didn't necessarily she's sensing it with her eyes. She may just be sensing it with her body. So maybe she is has some kind of a uh, a three sixty peripheral that she can. And it's just a way to, to you know it's just kind of a cool flip that he thinks he's being invisible, and it turns out he's not. He's standing out like a like a like a flare because it's right. <laughs> That doesn't work out too well for him, does it? Yeah. Which I never understood about, about the him displaying in Deep Shadow is if he had a darker costume, but he's got white gloves and mm-hmm. boots. Yeah. Um, and not that I'm arguing with the costume, because I think Nightcrawler's is one of the best costumes designed. Yeah. I love it. Um, and you know, I, I've always I've heard people say that Cockrum is one of the better costume designers out there, or was. And I agree, he he came up with some great stuff. Um, no, I, I agree with that too. I love, I, I mean, I love his work on Legion of Superheroes just for the costumes themselves, except for maybe Cosmic Boy. Well, there's that a del- a there's a delicate one. balance in the costumes, right? It's yeah. you don't want them too over stylized or too of their time. You know, they have to have kind of a timeless element to them, and they have to be simple. You know, if you look at a lot of the original X Men costumes, I think why people you know, um, like the X-Men is part of their designs of their costumes, even though they've changed slightly over the years, for the most part, they've pretty stayed pretty consistent mm-hmm. in their look. You know, your colors changed a little bit, but, um, you know, they've, they've stayed consistent. You know, it's like, um, the, uh, the Cree uniform, right on the previous page, very simple, you know, the, the white and blue or silver and blue with the, uh, the planet logo on the front and the helmet, but again, classic. Doesn't it doesn't have to be very busy to be good. Even yeah. Mantis is great. Oh yeah, hers is super simple. And we have to remember the Nightcrawler didn't wasn't given his costume by Professor X. He had it already because he was already a circus performer. Right. So yeah. he had designed it or somebody designed it for him. And I I'm assuming he got a unstable molecule version <laughs> upgrade. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> upgrade. <laughs> Or he'd be naked in that next panel after getting blasted from Mantis. You know, it's his, just his his, uh, his his spandex or whatever it is. Uh, hmm. Now the um, uh, yeah, I'm looking at the the floating cart in the back, and it's got Angel on it. There's Angel on it, yeah. But it, it doesn't have Storm, so I guess uh, that Hussar and them took took Storm off. It was and interesting. Then, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was gonna say when I rewatch when I watched the. Uh, the X Men animated version of this because it's a it's a it's a different set of X Men. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who she blasts. She does, Nightcrawler's not there. Uh, it's not not Rogue because Rogue takes the place of Colossus. Right. Uh, Gambit maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think that it sounds Gambit. about right. Yeah. Now, did you all notice the the thing in the bottom panel? Hey, Brian, right. did you know that there's something hidden in the bottom panel? <laughs> <laughs> it says so S O O. Yeah, right there. So S O Q soak. Oh, that's right, soak or sock. sock. It's sock. sock. <laughs> it's five hundred. <laughs> this is his five hundredth page. That is super to, cool. I did not. To, to, yeah. <laughs> to be I fair never. to the listeners, um, none of us had, had you know found the the hidden numbers in the panel after all these years and many times reading the story and Brian had sent out, you know, a picture to all of us before uh, we recorded saying, Hey, do you guys notice anything in the image? And, and uh, I don't think I, I responded back or didn't for quite a while because I, I, 
nothing jumped out at me. I mean, I've looked at this panel like a hundred times, and I think John, you would respond. Well, yeah, I see so or sock. So Q, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that brick or really scram. messes things up, doesn't it? <laughs> well, if you didn't know it was his five hundredth page, you would think, why has he got five hundred, and what, what does that got to do with anything? And I read that off the Marvel Wiki. That's that's cool. Good for him oh, to remember that. You made that, us so. all feel inferior. Dare you, sir? How dare you? I did nothing to make you feel inferior. You did it all yourself. Yeah. Don't blame me for what you're thinking. Okay. We don't need any help from you. Even to even, even when it's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but so that the just battle shows how, rages how, on how, how good his artwork is, right? But, that we've read it so many times and we never noticed it. Yeah, that I mean, and, and there are people right now that are going, "What? Wait, wait!" And they're having right. to go back and look at the book and they're going, "Oh my gosh, I never noticed that." And, you know, it, it's it's interesting to note, you know, in all that, in all this, none of us sit there and said, wow, Colossus is the first one to take out a guardsman. <laughs> no, because you know why? He took wow. out half a guardsman. There's 500 in that rubble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And still, Gladiator looks cool, even small. Like mm-hmm. that. Yep. And the beast, of course, is hanging from up above. And taking a shot at, I guess that's Benny, or is that Cecil? Which one is I don't which? know. I don't know which is Benny and which is Cecil. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, I mean, he's going to need some detangler or something, right? After getting shocked. <laughs> See, now I have to do a little bit of research on here. Google. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, I think the small one is Benny because I think in the cartoon Cecil is the dinosaur and Benny's the boy. Well, he said, uh, right in the next panel, right, Gladiator says to get to Benny Colossus. Yeah. Ah. So it's, uh... Okay. So then we know. Ouch. Yeah. And here I like the beast's hair sticking on end, the way that uh, Byrne drew that. So he can... That looks it's... so painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the, fa- the facial expression is also definitely filled with, with pain. And uh, very, very good rendition here. And then I just like, wh- who, who do we decide the big one was? Is that Benny? That like is. The small one's Benny. I yeah. like Cecil's so foot big, just kind of hanging, hanging out in between the bricks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah, just his foot. That's it. You think they got fired after this? They got demoted? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right. You, you, get, you, get to, you get to take care of the, the lower grade governors, not the, not the empress. <laughs> And I think it's interesting when, when Gladiator comes in, just basically, you know, gives. Uh, we don't get a nice sound effect. We should have a nice, mm. like a ring or some kind of a metallic sound effect when he punches yeah. it. Yeah, we we don't we get it on the next panel where it says whammo. whammo. And right. then the next one when you get scrack. <laughs> As he takes the stone pillar. Well, Colossus right. says uh, this alien seems to be as strong as I am. It's like, man, I know he's a little bit stronger than you are. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. He comes yeah. from Krypton. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and again, definite burn burn rubble and burn uh, details. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we turn the page, <laughs> <laughs> hands on hips, I dare right. to attack me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kimbo. He has a sense of style there, doesn't he? He's like... <laughs> yeah. Cape blowing in the wind. This is the this is the image I have. For some reason, this this Crawl. panel always stood out. So I remember when I've been reading this so many times, 
it's because it just shows how powerful he is. He's just standing, you know, it's, you know, getting cracked in the head with a stone pillar. Mm-hmm. And it breaks on his hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it breaks on his hair with a nice big crumb. It, then it messes his hair up, that's for sure. That's some pretty hair gel, good hair gel. You know, I, I was, um, a couple years back, I took my son to Six Flags, and we went on the Titan. And as we're sta- standing in line, there's a guy in, in the front car of the Titan, and he has got a huge, huge mohawk, even a little bit bigger than this. And, you know, the, the way the line went, we actually saw that same car when it came back, and his mohawk was just wrecked. <laughs> and he, he's sitting there tending to it like it's a dead snake. <laughs> Well, so he must not have had uh, L.A. looks. Anybody remember that? Well, glad, Gladiator's focusing all of his psionic powers to reinforce that mohawk. Yeah, uh, definitely. So you have a pretty impressive battle here beneath as rubble crumbles around them. I got to say, though, I love the this little speech from Colossus, you know, saying that anything is possible so long as we stand, we fight. So long as we fight, no matter what the odds, we will prevail. Except now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he was very idealistic. He was he was not going to be uh, undone. And then two men of steel, definitely a, uh, a reference to Gladiator's uh, counterpart in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. And then cliche: one an irresistible force, the other an immovable object. <laughs> Battling without let up, giving everything they have. In the end, though, it is not they who decide the issue. Rather, it is the ancient, fragile structures around them. Yeah. yeah. I just I just noticed something. I always thought, you know, because comic book characters can sometimes have re- ridiculous, you know, footwear or boots. I always thought those were huge, thigh-high boots for Gladiator. But clearly they must not be because it, when he's emerging from the rubble, right, his costume is torn. So clearly he hasn't paid a visit to the Reed Richards um, supply shop. For uh, for heroes to get his unstable molecules, molecules. but his his um, the blue and the red portion of his suit are ripped. Mm-hmm. Those are clearly not. It's not a boot. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a scene that goes around where the color changes, like on my Captain America shirt. And then is that so? The belt is even fake too. Mm-hmm. This is all budget. That's all it is. <laughs> the Shire, the Shire are, are a sham. They're you know. It's a, it's a one piece bodysuit, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, I see he managed to get his shirt off though. A onesie. <laughs> yeah, the Kirk. He had the Kirk moment. That's it's right. The Shiar version of a romper. <laughs> I seem to have torn my shirt, <laughs> ladies. Yeah. And then here's a uh, Xavier seeing the defeat one by one. His his X Men are falling. He thought they had a chance. And Liliandra, of course, she wants to go in comfort and be there, but no. So we've got a lot of emotion in these three little panels here. Yeah, she says, but I cannot console Professor X. I am the Empress. I must do my duty no matter what it costs. And she actually looks like she is wiping away a tear mm-hmm. at uh, at uh, his his pain at watching his, his uh, children, you know, as he calls them. Um, as he's watching the X-Men be taken out one by one pretty badly right at that, you know, yeah, not a a gentle takedown. Definitely having their derriere handed to them. 
Rather. But they're not fighting. But the the guards are not fighting to the death. They're not. They're just subduing and basically knocking them out. They're not. Uh, you think Lelandrum gave him uh, a directive? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's just kill. if it's just to feed him or if it's just. I mean, obviously you can't kill him. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if they all got wiped out and we started with a brand new lineup of X Men? Well, all, new, uh, all different. In, in, all yeah. real, in all reality, Storm should have been killed. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Oops. Yes. She should have. Yeah. And, I'm and, sure they were holding back. She probably, I mean, because the X-Men are noble foes and they, they know that they're just doing this. So they just need to disable the X-Men to get to Phoenix. That's who they really want. So, yeah. Yep. And the chase is on in the next page, right? And now. the chase is on. Now this, it looks like we got Oracle sequence, at least. Yeah. yeah. This whole sequence was, was done in the X-Men cartoon almost Verbatim, panel, wasn't it? Panel, yeah. It's pretty close, yeah. I love that that uh, the face on there in the wall is, is Gene's pointing into the alcove. It makes me think like the Watchers got those all over the place for him. Those are his cameras. <laughs> those are his little spy cameras. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Disguised as a uh, Easter Island uh, tiki. <laughs> <laughs> Not a very subtle Watcher. Yeah. Well, it's a tiny plain sight. It's like, oh, that, that would be possibly a camera, would it? Because it looks like a face. <laughs> be too easy. <laughs> and we see, you know, Cyclops and Jean have a moment here as they they hide from their pursuers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they they know things are not going well, um, and, but they they do have their moment there as they're they're hidden by the. The dirt or the sand, whatever Gene brings up to, to mask. Dust is dust. It's the yeah. dust. dust. Moon dust. Yeah, they, they have kind of right. a they have kind of a Butch and Sundance moment where they, you know, she lets mm-hmm. the dust drop and they kind of go out knowing they're probably going to die. Because mm-hmm. uh, at this point they don't know she says she's lost telepathic contact with. So at this point they may think that the other X Men are dead, not just right. knocked out. Yeah, yeah they, so they don't know. Yeah, they there's think a reason. They're the only ones. Yeah. Well, and I do like that Claremont, you know, holds back here, you know, in those those uh, bottom panels, right? The Cyclops is, you know, holding Gene and says, "There's so much I want to say to you, so much that I feel I I don't have the words." And she says, "You know, where I'm concerned, it's the thought that counts, and yours, like you, are beautiful. Uh, you know, you're a special man, Scott Summers." And you know, they have a few more words and they go out. I think the the Butch and Sundance references. Mm-hmm. Very apropos because it's it's like all right here we go this is it you know yeah, we're gonna go down together. I, I didn't know they put in sentence for that close. Very close. Very <laughs> I think close. they I thought, oh, yeah I think they held hands when they jumped off that cliff. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but one of them was doing Catherine Ross. <laughs> <laughs> the other one could have been doing Ted Cassidy. So you know anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I think also it's interesting that when they go out and they're fighting Smasher and Starfire, or whatever his name or, is, Oracle and yeah, Oracle Starbolt. and Smasher, Starbolt and Smasher, was kind of a, a lazy name. Yeah. Um, is that Badal or is that Bow? Bow. And Zark, of course. Favorite That's such a bad sound effect. I, sound effects were really long. strange back then, but I'll tell you, back then I just accepted <laughs> them for what they were. <laughs> so did Cyclops' optic blast actually hit Starbolt, or did they just miscolor it yellow? 
going behind Starbolt. I think it's going behind his. his yeah. They're missing think, each other. I think. Yeah. yeah. It is bent around the bolt. You know, not not very intimidating though. Zark. <laughs> Zark. It's a little, it's a little Zark. I, I it hear is, it. I hear it as Zark. You know? <laughs> no, the font is too small. But yes, I get. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing with Cyclops's blast that I've never understood is. If he focuses it into a fine point, is it more powerful than when he shoots it out in a large, nope. you know, beam? I mean, it, why didn't he fan out his beam bigger? Okay. I've never been under- think, able to understand that. I think well, Hotmoo says he can focus it narrower and he wants like push buttons and stuff. But maybe he's letting <clears throat> he's narrowing the beam, but he's letting less energy flow out, so it's a weaker beam. So it could like uh, light he, someone's he cigarette from across pool. the room. He's played pool with his optic blast before, yeah, he so has. he can. Now you don't want to sit there and use too much force, and if that thing is like ultimate, you know, irresistible force, then it's going to knock the cue ball through the table rather than to the corner pocket. Yeah, but his his, his visor works like shutters, like uh, window shutters. Yeah. yeah. So that you know, it's it, it allows so much light to go through. It, it's only uh, through the visor that he has control. Without the visor, it's just. Full blast. Yeah, it's just all directional. Right. And, and, wherever his eyes are pointed, that's where he's that. That's going to get the full blast. So and, and when somehow. he played pool, he actually did it using his glass. He just sit there and flipped up his glasses. And did oh, it. that's right, he did. And that, yeah. that comes up in the like. Isn't it the issue right after Burn Leaves with uh, Brent Anderson, the despair story? Uh, possibly. And then I know he did it in the X Men versus Teen Titans. Also, maybe he was maybe he was squinting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway. this top panel, this is where I think that the cover of 137 would be placed. Yeah. Yeah. If you look yeah. at the cover of 137, this is the scene or the point of the battle of when one, the cover of 137 uh, would be uh, would be placed at them. They're fighting for their they're fighting the Phoenix must die. This is the last of the when these two come or maybe just slightly a few seconds later as we see down here where Hussar and Gladiator show up, and I don't know who the third person is. I'd have to look at all the character designs to try to There's figure out. Earthquake, Hussar, oh, Gladiator. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the one on the right. Uh, those two on the right. You know, I never uh, even noticed them before. That's Star Sheila. Hmm? I have no idea who that is. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe one of those was that gl- growing one that, that, that was the Colossal Boy knockoff. Yeah, I think the Colossal Boy one is the one next to Gladiator, and then I don't know who the the looks like it might be Manta, the the final one there. But hmm. could be like Manta, a red, could red be. <laughs> I mean, it could it could be Beanie. Yeah, <laughs> possibly yeah. if Cecil is still under that rubble. Well, and that's the thing. <laughs> Up until this point, we have not seen any. There's been a one to one ratio on the X Men, so you know, we haven't seen more than you know. Whatever. Who were the four originally that were fighting them, though? It was Oracle, Starbolt, Smasher, and who was the other one that was with them? Uh, Manta was with them. If you go back a few pages, you'll see that Manta was with Starbolt and Oracle, but then she must have peeled off to go visit to find uh, Nightcrawler in them. And Angel, when Angel gets thrown down the uh, shaft. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so then for the other team, it was Gladiator, Benny, Cecil... And who? Looks like just those two or three. Was it just Gladiator, Benny, and Cecil? Yep. Yes, it was. 
So That's why did you really was, need anybody else? Yeah, but the thing is that it, it was a one to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that means there's one missing. He went. Well, one of them's, one of them's taking a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tag team. Well, it's fifteen minute <laughs> union break. So anyway, we yeah, they're the battle ensues. They were young. They were. At, I love the the commentary up here. It really gives you the the emotional build up to what's going on. Once upon a time, you know, the once upon a time story, Jean Grey, Scott Summers, they were young, they were loved, they were heroes. And today they will prove it. And all of a sudden you see that bigger flash of light and then the Shear up there going, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you, you see this, the Shire vessel and then you see back on the moon that big light, almost like yeah. a Kirby Crackle the bottom. starting. Yeah. Yeah, I never noticed that. Yeah. That's where... And I, I think it's interesting that you don't see what triggers the uh, her transformation. It's just later, you know, something, you know, Cyclops is taken down, knocked, whatever, has something happened to him, so she kind of loses control. Totally off panel, yeah. Um, which is cool because you get, as you said, it's a great reveal when you flip that page mm-hmm. of the the bug ship being blasted. Uh, yeah, everybody, and, you if, know. and if you're seeing a light, a large light. <laughs> From space on the surface of a of a of a moon or a planet, you know that's big. So, especially <laughs> since you know that there's no one down there except right. for people. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not a laser pointer. Mm-hmm. It's not your guys singing going, "Hey, we've got them under control." Right. 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 Yeah. Oh, I mean, right. again, I'm sitting there looking at perspective here because you've got the Shire vessel going away from the moon, and then in the next panel. There's a planet that's to their immediate right where the thing is coming from. It's it's. it's I mean, I, I would see that that if they saw something was going on, they'd be turning the ship, and that's how that beam would get to them. But it makes it look like it's a lot closer than it was in the in the panel before. Yeah, it's all perspective, but yeah, all perspective. Yep. And it looks like I mean, I always, I always when I first read this, I thought, well, that's not the ship that. Uh, Professor X and Andra, they're on. It was a different because it looks like this ship is obliterated, but yeah. it's just, I guess it's cri- almost crippled because it's they're you know they're doing their Star Trek acting and they're being thrown around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait a second here though. Okay, okay, hold on a second. If you go back to page thirty thirty six, <laughs> wait a minute. If you go back, uh, I'm looking. I'm looking I at the yes on that at, at the CBR. Okay, <laughs> and if you go back to page, go back three pages, page thirty six. You see Lalandra in what looks to be like a furry, feathery kind of cloak or something. Yeah, where she's crying. Yeah, where yeah. she's crying, okay? And then you go three pages later, she's in right. armor. She's full armor up. Yeah. Well, she was. She thinks they're going to – That she thought they were – see, that's no, not a fur. That's a towel. That's a towel around her neck. She just got out of the shower. She got a towel around her neck. She's getting cleaned up. She's fixing to get in her formal armor. Yeah. You know, I I remember reading this when I was younger, and I thought initially when I read the text box and saw the beam, even though I know it's not red, I thought it was Cyclops. Hmm. I thought for a minute that he had lost control because the the text box, the narration box, says the energy flare lights up half a lunar hemisphere, a plasma bolt, right, a plasma bolt, that's the Cyclops part, of monstrous proportions punching through the starship's defensive force fields like they don't exist. 
All right, and then of course you get the next two boxes telling you what's happening, announcing yeah. to all the universe that the Phoenix is reborn. Right. So at first I thought it was Cyclops <laughs> that he had just you know kind of did, did the all right that's it I'm done playing. You know, kind of the question earlier of you know how powerful can he make his blast? Mm-hmm. You know, did he did he just you know for lack of a better term, you know, did he just nuke everybody? Like, <laughs> you know, we're gonna die, so I'm just gonna unleash all of my power, and the ship right just happened to be in the way. But um, obviously, that's not what's happening here. With the the Phoenix is reborn, mm-hmm. and they're that's doing the star the Star Trek. Yeah, that's a great shot though of the ship just getting blown to, to oh. getting the pogies yeah. blown out of it basically. Oh yeah, I mean I don't yeah. It's that Star Trek everyone tilts to the right. Yes. Yep. Yep. Everybody tilts to the, the left. left. Oh. Uh, no, and I love the line in the in the middle panel. Grab handholds everyone. The artificial gravity's gone. <laughs> I'm glad we brought this guy along. There are no handholds. The obvious. <laughs> there are no handholds. Obvious, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then there's Plan Omega. Raise it to the ground, just destroy the whole the whole system, <laughs> burn this world, this system, this entire stellar cluster. <laughs> I'm wondering is is she like okay, but wait till we get out of the system, yeah. or just don't worry about it, just burn it down. We're gonna like be a minimum in the middle of it. minimum safe zone. Well, we have to go back <laughs> to that middle panel though, because the you know you talk oh, about okay. Captain Obvious, right? The guy right saying damage control report. How badly are we hit? Oh, I don't know. Maybe three uh, quarters of the ship is gone. Yeah, I don't know. Do you really, think that's yeah. bad? And yeah. the professor picks now to wake everyone up. Gee, why couldn't you have done that while they're in the battle before you? They get knocked out. Storm, wake up. Okay, fight again. But no, mm-hmm. he waits until Phoenix comes back. Yeah, he's sandbagging. Well, as far as Plan Omega, it makes you wonder. Wow. They must have stuff planted all around the universe because all you know if she thinks that all we've got to do is just um, what does she say uh, burn the entire stellar cluster that means the entire solar system mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not going to happen from a little bug ship there I'll tell you that the stellar because, cluster would actually be us and Alpha Centauri and Proxima Centauri. Okay, so that's so it's even, even even larger. Yeah. yeah. So they must have like these these secret bombs hidden somewhere around because <laughs> either that or she's just like in the heat of the moment, just like whatever it takes, get rid of it. Or so they've got some kind of planet killer anti weapon 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 yeah. that they that are they going to send the whole fleet in? It's just going to wipe everything out. You know, they're going like, to have this these, is a, like, this is like a thing. Death Star. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, this is the thing. If they've got this type of capability to sit there and do this willy-nilly, why are they worried about the Phoenix? I'm worried about them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Time to send in the Avengers. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, we see uh, Phoenix and her Phoenix effect. The uh, Imperial Guard are down. Including Gladiator in the bottom left-hand corner, which you just but not his mohawk, not his mohawk. That is a darn good product. Think about what what it would have to take to knock him out when he is so confident in his ability there. Yeah, Uh, this is the Phoenix we're talking about. I mean, Mm -hmm. there is, by the way, no cooler transformation image of any character anywhere than the Phoenix behind Gene. Yeah, I agree. There just is it. Ever. And I hear in my head that theme from Battle of the Planets. Dun 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 dun. 
as the fiery phoenix comes they out. Fire, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, I, I hear uh, TNT. Um, <laughs> the, oh, gosh, I'm losing my mind. I hear the, the uh, oh, gosh, ACDC. TNT, you know, TNT. <laughs> Dynamite. <laughs> All right, JJ. <laughs> I want to know if her her costume change is built into her because she says it happens so fast. Uh, there's no time to thought. She saw Cyclops cut down and the cry of shock and grief and terror that uh, well within her shattered the psychic bonds. But something is on autopilot or something because she when she transforms and suddenly she's got a new she's got her costume. She's able to mentally rearrange the molecules. I mean, yeah. they establish yeah. that back. Yeah, yeah right. but but apparently that's just she that's without thought. That just happens. Yeah, including the heels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and this is and, just so. This is the part of the Jean Grey in control of the Phoenix Force or the Phoenix Power. Mm-hmm. However, we want to uh, balance that retcon and that that ability so i think yeah this is just her manifesting herself with that strength of power that it's just kind of automatic uh it's what she's trained herself to do and it's what happened the first time she came out of um jamaica bay mm-hmm. way back in 101 or the the last panel of 100 so yeah she's just kind of doing that and then uh cyclops of course still wanting the the, the best way out but uh there's nothing much more they can do the genie from Aladdin shows up to give him advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> Professor Stein there. <laughs> well, he says uh, in that top panel, you know, he says Cyclops attack Phoenix now while she's relatively weak. She just took out the entire right card. Hey, thanks, thanks for the thanks for the assist. Now die. Sure, yeah. sure I'll, I'll do it by myself. You know. You know, the thing that I couldn't understand with this was they were so quick, you know, cause, uh, to, you know, blast her, but her costume is still green and yellow. It's not red and yellow. Yeah, but it's which a I we es- progression. It's just- yeah, but I thought we established when she was in control, it's green and yellow, and when she's not, it's red and yellow. Yeah, so she's not Dark Phoenix is what you're saying Cor- right now. Right. So it's why funny. would yeah. – I don't even know why Cyclops would agree – to blast her. I mean, he he's he's right there. He can tell, you know, that it's it's not Dark Phoenix. It's Jean. can have a strong influence on the yeah. weak-minded. But I think Professor X so, realized can, that there's no stopping this this progression. It's just going to continue on. Yeah, she's going to revert. He, gonna, he thought that he had it under control, and if if the Phoenix could revert itself through the psychic dampeners that he put on her. I think he's like, oh crap, this is not going to work, and we've yeah, got to take nothing. her out. Yeah, there's, there's just no other. Yeah, but Jane herself says, "Good Scott, you're doing exactly what I prayed you would." So it's almost like this is part. I mean, it seems like she she became Phoenix out of she couldn't help it. Just it's just a reflex. Yeah. But it seems now that she's either formed a plan, or yeah, she has an idea of what you know. Is she is she now is she already thinking of what she's going to do? At the end of this issue, this is broadcasting that as yeah. we look back on it. Like, yeah, this is she's she's got her telegraphing plan. it. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the one part in the story that I take issue with, and you can probably hear it in my voice. Is this? There's one panel here, David. <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying, is this what you're referring to? 
it's yeah this whole okay. page you know oh, where okay yeah so in you know we we talked previously about the the, the um, pages before this where we don't see exactly what happens to Scott but mm-hmm. we do get an indication here where the last time we saw him right his costume was intact and here now it's not right it's ripped to shreds yeah so he clearly was hit by something big which is what triggered Jean's transformation. So she may have initially thought he was dead, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, he, he's done for. And that's what causes the Phoenix to come out. And then this quick turn, like I said, where it's it's so fast that, you know, it goes from, you know, um, our enemies are incapacitated, the Phoenix is here, quick killer. Um, and the, the bottom panel with the, the text says, you know, um, oh, let's see here. It says, Cyclops says, um, it's up to us to stop her because Storm now is back in, in the picture, right? She, she says, mm-hmm. you know, she heard Professor X's voice, mm-hmm. right, bringing her back. And then uh, Cyclops, right, saying they have to stop her. She says, is such a thing possible? And then he, um, Cyclops off panel says, I don't know, Aurora. But we have to try. We have to keep her off balance, make her use up um, her power, burn herself, herself out. out. At what point have they had that happen? Ever? Or have, they, have they even seen uh, indication that she could burn herself out? Right. Well, that, you, if that, you remember when, when she first came out, when she first came out of Jamaica Bay, when she first turned into Phoenix, she went into almost like a coma-like state for at least right. a day. Plus, she, she consumed the star to re-energize herself, so maybe they're thinking that she does have to replenish her power at some point in some way. So maybe that's what they were thinking. Well, the the bottom panel on the left says her power, her power is awesome, but for the present it has its limits and she has reached them when, when he's knocking all the, uh, yeah. all the stone on top of her and she's yeah. having to deflect it. So, uh, she is, a, you know, possibly, you know, who knows how much power she had to use to take out the guards. Plus, uh, maybe he's, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Maybe he's sensing this through his psychic rapport. Remember, they still have that. That was never dis- dissolved. But right. don't you think he would pick up on her this plan she's thinking she's going to do? Don't you think he would pick up on that? If she let him. That's true. I guess she could yeah. block that. Yeah. And she you would. I just think it's yeah. so odd because, because of the, the whole reason they're here is to save her. Mm-hmm. Right? And so now it's, nope, she's, she's going to die. Well, they, I mean, the thing is, they told Lalandra, hey, the professor, he cured her. She's okay. She deserves to live. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, not. no, she's Phoenix. She's always going to be Phoenix, and so she needs to die. And this is the point where they say, okay, you're right. We're wrong. And we've got to make up for our mistake here. We've got to take her out. Now, maybe they're thinking, we just got to take her out enough so the professor can put a whammy on her again. Or, you know, hand her over to the Imperial Guard to do whatever they're going to do. Yeah, at this point, they're they're not saying kill her. They're just saying stop her. I mean, what does stop her mean? Kill her or just uh, knock her out again well, and try to do the same thing? So that's Wolverine on the next page says kill her. Well, mm-hmm. right, but up until then... Yeah, John. What? Wolverine says kill her. Yeah, but until then, as Cyclops and Storm, they're like, we've got to stop her, we've got to stop her, and then... then so, uh, then yeah, then Wolverine comes in on the next page. Like, all right, man, this is the only way out. See, and 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 that's where I think if they had had another panel here or something of Professor X telling them, you know, I 
I can feel right the Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix breaking through, growing. Right? Yeah, that, yeah, that Gene is going to lose control again. I can feel it. Something to give us some indication that. It, this is going to go wrong, and it's going to go wrong fast. You know, like we have to act right now, or we're all going to die, right? Because last time we barely made it out, and you know, can we be lucky twice? Probably mm-hmm. not. So that that's that's the issue I have here with this with this turn in the story is you fought all this way to save Jean, to keep protecting her, and that she's a you know a part of your family, and you could never you know kill her, even when she was super bad. Mm-hmm. Right, in the previous issues, um, so I just I, I think we, we that's the part we're missing here is a little bit of something to give us more fuel of you know we have very limited time you know Phoenix is back the the dark part of the Phoenix is coming I can feel it right to I think either John or or Brian had said you know that the 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 barriers that I put in place to keep that in check are are. Are being dismantled. They're, fan- you know, they're, yeah. they're yeah, they're breaking down. Some something to give give um, some more weight to what the X Men is doing here. You know, as a team, so quickly because not none of them really right say, well, wait, are you sure? Should we talk to Jean for a second? Make sure mm-hmm. you know that she's really lost it or yeah. she's going to lose it. Right, I'll be quiet. Interesting well, question. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, go ahead, Brian. Well, no, I, it, it's almost a change of subject. So go ahead. Well, I was going to say on. Uh, the the page we're talking about. You look at the the uh, page opposite, lower when uh, Professor is thinking to himself. He says, uh, "Lander was right. Uh, things have gone too far. I have done all I could. Too little, too late uh, for Gene. Now I must act to save the human race." They may be thinking, "Well, and maybe they were told this. If we can't stop her, they're going to wipe out the you know the Earth, the solar system, you know our stellar cluster. So they're they're trying to not only just save." They're not trying to save her anymore. They're trying to save the planet. Yeah, so maybe that's her. why. You're... No, that's that's a very good point. Very not... astute observation, Tim. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Yes. So on this next page, we see Wolverine and Colossus and Nightcrawler waking up, and they see all this stuff that's going down. Storm has made a tornado, and it appears to be rain-wrapped. Do they have rain on the blue area? <laughs> I don't know. If there's moisture here, she can she can make That's it. That's right. That's right. And only now, after all these years, do I actually notice Beast and Angel in that third panel. Oh, oh yeah, there they are. Okay. And then of course there's another one of those Easter Island type things, but it looks like it's actually holding its eyes under its eyes with its hands. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Like it's like it's trying to grab its tears or, or whatever. Uh-oh. But I think it's watching for the watcher. <laughs> you know. It, there's, there's and, very and meanwhile, times, the watcher is in his living room with a bowl of popcorn saying, oh, my gosh, this is so good. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Best TV ever. Um, this is Daenerys that, burning down King's Landing. Well, too, <laughs> Oops, too sorry, soon. Sorry, spoilers. Too folks. soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> um, the, the, the anguish in Gene's face. I mean, this, this really, you know, as much as there's been a lot of violence in these past few issues, Cyclops cold cocking, you know, Gene there with the with the left hook, Colossus, or just the mean. left or Colossus. Um, oh, it's just brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It really looks like he he just really hits her hard. And he pulled that punch. <laughs> I don't think so. She's got the. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that Wolverine says, uh, I love that woman, Petey. Not, I love her, I loved. Meaning he knows, I guess, Peter's going to kill her, but I would think he would, he would still say, you know, I love her. You know, he, yeah. Well, this goes back you know. to what he said before when he said there's two sides of Jeannie. There, there's mm-hmm. Jean Grey and there's Phoenix. Yeah. And this is his way of acknowledging that Jean Grey is gone. And, and here is where, you know, since, uh, what, three pages ago, the scene on the moon mm-hmm. with uh, the the Imperial Guard coming in for the last kill before the, the bug ship got blown up. This is where we actually start seeing a lot of those seeds for the Phoenix Force story to come out or the dual personality or the dual thing. Before that... I, Maybe it was there. I, I didn't really realize it. But now that I'm looking back at it from this perspective, and after the the Phoenix Force story and and the Phoenix Entity, I see where they're laying the groundwork for that aspect of things to kind of give her give it a way out for Jean to not be the one that's complicit with all the murder, but this other entity. And this is this is the kind of stuff that that we mentioned with uh, with Wolverine talking about Gene being two people and or there's the Phoenix and then there's Gene and stuff that's earlier and that we'll discuss uh, in the Phoenix Untold story. But here, and that last panel on that page there where, with with uh, Colossus hitting her, mm-hmm. th- that actual vision of, or that image of Gene, to me, looks very much like Cockrum, doesn't it? Oh, to me, the, that's so burnt. That's so burnt. You think that's burnt? To me, it looks Just so much lips. like Cockrum stuff. But the, yeah, the, the curve of the lips and then the way the brow is furrowed, and and of course, just her hair. No, this this to me okay. is, is is vintage burn. Just uh, yeah, I mean, I, even even Terry Austin couldn't overcome that. Yeah, no, it's it's a great panel. <laughs> But well, what a backhanded insult that was! Like, no, that's not an insult oh. in any way. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that is that especially with early burn women, he had this tendency to make them very thick-lipped, like like what you see in Jean here, and he did furrow the brow very often on them, so that a lot of the females had similar appearances. That's that, that was a lot of complaints that people made over the years. Not for and me. I'd this care. right here is very, to me, it's very vintage burn, you know. Okay. Uh, and it, 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 you know, the the again, Terry Austin inks is not not, not a method of hiding it or anything, um, but I mean, it it seemed to almost accentuate it. Yeah. Very good. We artwork. admire we hmm? admire the hundreds of individual hairs on Wolverine's body in two oh panels. Oh my god. <laughs> You know, it's funny because today someone had asked Byrne about, you know, doing the, the Rocky version of the thing and how other artists sit there and lament, my God, it's such a task to do that. And what Byrne says is, uh, he goes, it's more of a Zen thing for him. The pencil just flows mm. and does it. And I'm sure that's exactly what happens there with that. Right. Well, he, he loves drawing rubble, and that's just a walking pile of rubble. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, well, even with Wolverine's hair, I think it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, Unless yeah. there's a special, you know, ultra Chicago guy hair uh, zipatone. Nope, <laughs> nobody else has really drawn drawn Sorry, Wolverine Chicago this way. Chicago bear fan, yeah. Well, you know, that, that's one of the cool things about him and George Perez is the amount of detail that they put into their stuff on things that were, for most artists, kind of insignificant, like rubble or 
hair or things like that. It just because mm-hmm. uh, Perez was really he really <laughs> he really drew a lot of the detail in the rubble as well. If you look at the yeah. Oh, yeah. the Corvac saga or the the early appearance of Ultron Seven and uh, Jocasta when Jocasta was introduced way back in 160, 161 or one sixty one one sixty two, it was just a lot of detail in those things that you know you kind of look at it cursory and it's like oh what you don't pay attention to it but it really adds so much to the back of the story and those little things just kind of bring that out it, it and it brings the character of wolverine you know that yeah he's this swarthy little mess of an animal kind of and i don't mean yeah. that as an animal but wolverine the, the the ferociousness of it and that's just part of his characterization there and it, and it just helps delineate him from mm-hmm. and look at look at that second panel over there on that page where colossus is just the smooth completely yeah. hairless person <laughs> you know it's that contrast of of character and i don't know what he was trying to say but you know it was just that contrast it was just a nice contrast and, i think it makes get, it it makes him seem like a bruiser which is what yeah. wolverine is he it just and you and the thing is it's it's it kind of makes him <laughs> do, do you say rosdauer Ruff Hauser. Oh, like you said, Rosdauer. What the heck is Rosdauer? That's a that's a mystery science theater quote. Ah, <laughs> Zap Rosdauer. Um, but he he wow. makes him a little relatable because you've known guys that are kind of super hairy like this, yeah, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And and to your point, uh, I think Colossus being Russian would probably be just as hairy, but. Mm-hmm. Maybe he maybe he uh, he shaves. I don't know. <laughs> there was a guy I went to college with, uh, biology lab. He was from Chicago. He was a huge Bears fan. He was as hairy as all get out and pop out of every you know like every collar and sleeve and just ugh. And Back everybody is called missing him, link. Everybody called him <laughs> Go Bear. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> but that's of course that's what I think of when I think of these guys. It's ugh. Well, and a lot of artists, and I think we've talked about it in previous issues, and we're seeing it here again, that same panel, you can tell that Wolverine is much smaller in stature than Colossus. Mm-hmm. And I see it all the time where Wolverine is drawn just kind of shorter or almost at the same level as, as uh, those around him. And it, to me, that's that's not how he yeah. ori- originally was drawn, right? That he was supposed to be like... He, um, you said, Tim, you know, this this smaller, brutish, you know, brawler yeah. kind of guy who's he's supposed to be about five one, five right. two, and he's a little two. guy. Yeah, yeah short so, and yeah. thick. Yeah, yeah, short kind of that short and wide. Um and, kind, and kind of the type you but you'd walk on and think, Oh yeah, you're gonna threaten me and then he'd really whoop your butt. Yeah. Right. Then the then the shirt comes off and you see the, the whole carpet of hair on his body. <laughs> carpet like, oh right. yeah, I'm yeah, this is trouble. A little bit like Puck in Alpha Flight. I think they're mm-hmm. very similar. He's drawn, yeah. He drove Puck kind of hairy that way, too. Yeah. So on the next page, we've got uh, Phoenix there, you know, touching her shoulder, her chin, thinking, wow. And and she knew he pulled his punch, you know, because uh, he was thinking of that stuff. But she, she, she saw his thoughts, you know, and then she's pleading, you know, kill me. Uh, here comes Scott and Storm. And we're seeing her explain over here that she's inevitably it's it's going to happen um and here in the middle panel there yeah two beings gene gray and phoenix separate unique bound together a symbiote 
I totally missed this, you know, way back when. I just kind of thought that maybe it was just the power and just kind of a a, a an out. An allegory of oh yeah I have these two things inside of me but you know here here's the groundwork again for the phoenix entity mm-hmm. the separate cosmic entity that has inhabited her so the seeds are laid for the revival that came what four years later five years later eighty four eighty five yeah yeah uh, I mean again yeah, that was all Kurt Busiek you know I mean they, when when Who pulled when on that Vernon Claremont did this they honestly didn't sit there and say we're doing this so that she can be brought back. Uh-huh. They just, you know, they did this and they said she's dead. It's a real death. She's dead. She's gone. Yeah. And, it's, you know, the Byrne just said we should let it go at that. But every time Claremont saw even a, okay, a sunset, oh, it reminds me of Jean. You know, <laughs> oh, that can, she opened a can like that once. Oh, Jean, oh, she died. Yeah. You know, and it was every X-Men, not not just, you know, Cyclops or the Professor, you know, like, Colossus is sitting there going, yeah, I punched a chin just like that once. Oh, you know? <laughs> Remember when I cold cocked Gene on that alien moon? You know, yeah. I, it's true. It's kind of, it's very much like Electra, you know, with Frank Miller, right? You know, being, um, you know, uh, upset when she was brought back and then he, he was a part of it. But Gene, as much as I love her character, she should have stayed dead. Um, because there, there is real emotion in here, and uh, I'll just continue in that next panel, because John had, had talked about where she's talking to Colossus, and she's coming to the to terms with the fact that, you know, that there's these two two pieces of her, and, and you know, they're, they're so intertwined that they can't be separated. And she tells, you know, you can see the rest of the team coming up in the panel. We see Storm and, and Cyclops. And she's telling him the Phoenix is a cosmic power, can neither be contained nor controlled. I wish I wish Chris uh, Claremont had added, you know, uh, or destroyed, right? Because she says, especially by a human vessel, return it to the cosmos with which um, is its home. Kill me. I, I wish he would have added that part in there about, you know, I know you guys mean well, but, you know, I, I can't contain this. Uh, I can't control it. And, and you can't kill it. So the only option you have left is to kill me mm-hmm. because it's using me. You know, as, as and I think that's the real sacrifice here is that, you know, she's it's almost like um, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, like someone with a mental illness. Right. And they have those moments of clarity mm-hmm. where they, you know, they realize, you know, like um, maybe you've, some of you experience with like, you know, elderly grandparents where. You know, they have good days and bad days with Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, but they have one of those really clear days. I feel like Gene here is having this clear, you know, revelation about what's happening to her and what Mm -hmm. the Phoenix Force is doing. And, you know, this understanding of what it truly is Mm -hmm. and and the fact that they can't stop it and they can't control it and they can't contain it. You know, it's almost like this guy is. We've tried, right? And it's just going to keep using me, so you've got to kill me. And and it's heartbreaking. And Cyclops is in denial. He's just like, no, <laughs> you you can fight this gene. You've got, you know, the you have the intellects, the will, a soul. Use them like she hasn't been. <laughs> right. Like, oh, so uh, I'm glad. I didn't think of that before. 
Yeah. Well, to point that he's flipping again because he he made that 180 of yeah I guess I got to kill her <laughs> and he's fought everybody's fought yeah. so hard to kill her now See? suddenly no 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 we don't have to kill you you right. you can you can mm-hmm. fight this out it's like make up your mind I mean maybe that's mm-hmm. how he would react he's See, kind and, of and here torn. we get yeah and here we get that transition right or this extra information that I wanted earlier where she is in her head, her own head, saying the power, you know, changing me. It's too soon. And, you know, within one panel, she goes from the green and yellow mm-hmm. to the, the red, red and yellow. Well, with, even that with, very next panel, she's in red. Yes. As soon as yep. she walked in there, she's transformed. And then the Cylon, I mean the Cyclops, is right behind her. <laughs> <laughs> Old school Cylon, folks. <laughs> Not reboot. Not reboot. Oh, come on. It was a good show. It was. <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I agree. Love that. I love that stuff. Well, she says uh, it's changing me. It's too soon. And I guess still in, yeah, she's still in charge. Right. Well, and I think it's because she's got still has this plan that she's come up with mm-hmm. that she's going to somehow you know commit suicide. That she's afraid that if she changes and becomes Dark Phoenix, then she won't be able to. Right. Well, and she tells Cyclops right because she holds him in place. Um, you know, and tells him. Um, because he, he tells her, you know, you're not giving us any choice. And she says the choice was never yours to begin with. And then um, she goes on and says, you know, Gene to Phoenix, Phoenix to Dark Phoenix, a progression as inevitable as death. Um, you know, and, and she's she's pleading with him, which, you know, again, this is where I'm kind of torn. Because to me, when she's transitioned into the, the red and yellow, um, you know, maybe this is this is kind of showing this is the last glimmers um, you know, before before the dark phoenix or the phoenix is totally in control. Mm-hmm. And she's probably thinking that if if she ever gives in, or if it ever she loses control, she may never be able to come back. So she, she has, about, yeah, yeah. She says, "I it's, love that that and it's on the next page, but it's that line." She goes, "Your way, I'd have to stay completely in control of myself every second of every day for the rest of my immortal life." Yeah. And that, I mean that spells it all right out right there. It's just a no-win scenario. And I yeah, like this panel that, that I like this panel that Byrne put them in the background while he raises the gun. That's the focal point of this panel. Isn't that really cool? Yeah. Without even without even a caption saying, and the gun raises out of the the depths of the the dust of the of the ancient civilization. You know, it's just like. It's there, they're there in the background, but he's showing you what's he's broadcasting what's coming right there. Which you is can real. almost hear Stan Lee saying it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, true believers, and the gun rises from the dust of the ashes of the moon. Did <laughs> well, you see Gene get obliterated? <laughs> it's a it's a nice it's a kind of a nice touching moment between the, when she's mm-hmm. basically saying goodbye to him. The next one is, yeah. Um, it's your um, and she gets blasted, but he says. Then he kind of gives us a little expository, you know, information that you know you planned it. You know, the moment you landed on the moon, you showed your intentions for me from a report. Um, was okay. Was her plan that if I become I lose control and become Phoenix again, then I'm going to do this, or was it always even if they beat the Imperial Guard, was she still going to do this? I guess reading this, I would take it that. She was planning to make them lose at some in some way. Yeah. And somehow 
when Scott got struck down, she lost control of the plan. But I think she probably had planned that that the X-Men would get defeated and eventually she would be the one that was taken out. I think she had prob I would think that she probably had planned that the 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 battle whatever all of the X-Men would would eventually just be and maybe maybe she's the one that controlled the Imperial Guard from killing everybody and just t- knocking them out to the point where finally she would be the one that would be uh, taken out at the end but then they knocked her down and she didn't anticipate that factor and it triggered the the phoenix from rising through her and breaking down the the, the barriers no i could i could see I, I can agree with that up to a point and i think the point there is when i don't think she realized how powerful her love was for scott even though we saw it bring her back once before mm-hmm. i think seeing him you know almost die right is, is what we're kind of led to believe since again, he goes from a full costume to tatters. Um, you know, it, it just blew all those barriers out. Um, cause to, to me, I agree if for her, you know, that maybe she knew that they weren't going to kill the X-Men, right? The whole purpose was just to take them out to get to Jean and, you know, have the execution. So, uh, I agree that for her, it's, it's a win win, right? If, if all the X-Men are defeated, you know, she's going to be executed, and then, you know, this torture that she's been under is over. Um, or if somehow they come through it and defeat him, she's already, as Cyclops points out in the last panel on that page, you know, where he's talking about, you know, you must have probed, right, the Cree, you know, soldiers, um, you know, to, to learn what was on this, this moon or this planet. Um, she already knew, you know, that, if they if they win, she she could just go, you know, have have her discussion with the team, right, or or not, right, just wander off and you know finish it herself. Because mm-hmm. I I really think that 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 conversation that she has with Cyclops, and and we see her have with the team on the previous page where she's, you know, having her her, uh, you know, coming to terms with what's happened and the uh, you know the your way, I have to stay completely in control of myself every second of every day for the rest of my immortal life. I mean, that's hell. That's yeah. hell. You know, anybody I think would say, I- I'm not, no matter how much I love you or love the, my family, because remember, she's saying goodbye to her family too. Even mm-hmm. though they're not here, I mean, she's, she's saying goodbye to them, you know, her, her, um, mother and father and her sister. Yeah. But what's that, her alternative, right, is, is hell. Either end it now with this weapon that she knows can do it or, you know, stay a prisoner in her own body, afraid for any moment of letting her guard down, fearing that Dark Phoenix is going to come out. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. It's horrible. You know, I sit there <laughs> and I look at that bottom set of panels of Cyclops and as it's pulling away. And you see the, the the grease spot that was Gene. You're so eloquent. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. But you know, the thing is, I, I look at this and I think about Alpha Flight number 12, where Guardian, of course, gets, gets killed. And I keep thinking about that scene versus this scene. You know, Cyclops seeing this and then deconstructing it and everything right there whereas in the other one you know heather just walks in and whoops honey you caught me you know 
not masturbating, but you know something <laughs> else really bad, and and I've got to hide it from you before you know it really ruins things for you. So I'll just kill myself here. Wow. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm really making light of it because the thing is, this stuff always when I was younger, it just affected me so much, and I'll get into that here in a little bit. But yeah. it, it's just it's funny now after all these years. I look at this and it makes me think about that in Alpha Flight and how you see similar circumstances but completely different uh, events mm-hmm. surrounding the deaths. Yeah. And well, here, here's where me as, what was this, 80? So I was 15. I was so like, oh my gosh, you actually killed Phoenix. And this is what back when, unless there was a definite body yeah, or something. People coming back. People weren't coming back. I mean, this was back when Bucky and Uncle Bed were were still dead, and and uh, Batman's parents. But also, you you guys sit there and think about this: is that aside <laughs> when you look at the Marvel universe of the original Marvel characters from the original books, nobody had died. Yeah, except no, this the ones was... that were part of the origins. This was the first. I mean, Captain Marvel had died by this point, I believe. Had he died by now? I don't was... think that. I don't think that. The graphic novel was out. I don't think no. so. So, so, either. so, so yeah, then, then Jean Grey was like the it, first, you know, Marvel big Marvel death. Big Marvel major death. Yeah, Bucky was definitely off panel, and but it was still a, his was still a significant part of the Captain Mar- uh, Captain America uh, mythos that mm-hmm. Bucky was gone, and it was the whole horrible thing. But yeah, this was the first, but. Uh, my thing was, you know, after this came out, I was so, like, devastated that I immediately started drawing her resurrection because she was a phoenix. Yeah. Phoenixes always come back from the fire. So, you know, it was <laughs> – I wish I still had the, the, the little things I was trying to draw at the time. And I was like, I had the little – what did you call it? What did you call it, Brian? The um, grease stain? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had the little the little stain, the, the ash stain so there, and then so a hand bad. coming out, and then a body <laughs> raising up. You know, I had a, I was plotting this whole thing out. Oh, that's a that horror sounds, film. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> yeah. terrible, John. Like, <laughs> no, it was just, she was going to resurrect out of the ashes, you know, like a phoenix does. So I mean, it was like, wow, whatever. But uh, reminds so, me of Austin Powers, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Two. I know. Hey, I was 15. You know, what can Very I say? Very badly burned. <laughs> Help me right now. I'll make it. <laughs> now I was thinking of Jack Palance, and uh, his idea for City Slickers 2 was basically the mound where Curly's buried. All the, 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 the dirt comes off of it, and he gets out, dusts himself off. City folk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just, I was really really angry and upset that he killed that that phoenix was dead because i was so invested in this character mm-hmm. and that that is a credit to the storytelling both of austin and burn and claremont on how that they they created and crafted such uh, likable characters and such characters that you were interested in and to me it was just really uh now that i look back on 15 year old me thinking wow that this really affected me this way. And there was a lot of storytelling that way that was, that helped do that. And this was, this was just one of those stories that I didn't want to see this. And then, and then I was really angry and spoilers for this. When he sent Frankie Ray off to be with Galactus to get her off the table, I was 
very pissed off. <laughs> oh. I actually wrote a letter to Marvel saying, what do you have against ginger redheads? Because it's just like, <laughs> Frankie Ray, Phoenix, you've got to be kidding me. You, did you write a stir, sternly worded letter? <laughs> it was a very sternly worded letter because I thought Frankie Ray was really cool and I loved the yeah. whole Nova aspect of it. But that's for for a whole different conversation about the Fantastic Four with John Byrne. But um, I'll tell you what, this was just a really uh, – it was a really powerful part of comic storytelling. And as, as you all just mentioned, I mean – a death of a major character was was really something else and some of our some of the writers uh the the comments on the facebook page were like wow a major character in the marvel universe was actually killed <laughs> yeah. well this is before it became a trope because now if somebody dies you're like oh yeah that's, yeah that's, that's, to, get, that's to get sales they're gonna come back you know what uh i mean up to this point we'd had i mean gwen stacy had died she wasn't a hero but she was a I call her a major character. She was a major. Uh, she was a yeah. major influence in Spider-Man's yeah. life. Uh, yeah, and she and she was dead. You know, then of course you get the Green Goblin. The next issue where you know he's a major villain getting mm-hmm. killed, uh, and none of, you weren't expecting any of those to come back until they started. Well, you know, let's still come up with the new characters. Let's start bringing people back. That and I'm curious because maybe I don't know Brian or maybe somebody else can can shed some light on this. When they brought her back, obviously it seemed as a tie-in because they wanted to launch X Factor. When they decided to bring back the original, get the original team back together, was was then they thought, well, how can we get Jean Grey back? Okay, how can we retcon this? Or was there ever any thought of bringing them back together without her, and it would just be the original, well, it'd just be the, the three guys, and wouldn't it? I think uh, it was. I think what it was was Kurt Busiek had gone to, I think, Roger Stern and saying, hey, I know how we can bring Jean Grey back. And then when that subject came up, that's when they also said, well, why not just let's, have, let's have go ahead Have you seen and the movie Cocoon? <laughs> <laughs> but he said, uh, let's let's get the uh, original team back together. We can make them mm. their own book. Yeah. And wasn't then there, they, they came wasn't, up with that Ghostbusters idea of the uh, X-Force. Oh my god, that was... That was, that, that was weird. That was Mutant weird. Hunters that just, ah! Yeah. By the way, Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel came out in April of 1982. That's so okay. it would have been a year and a yeah. half after this. But you know, I think we're missing something here in, in, in the actual story itself, and that is the last page. Um, <laughs> we were trying to the last it. page of the issue or the last page that we've been looking at? The last page of, of the issue. Because, I mean, you know, the. Cyclops, of course, had done his, you know, said his bit and all that. And we were talking about the grease stain that was Gene. And then here we go to the last page. Where, yeah, the oh, recorder gosh. and the monitor, uh, the recorder and Uatu have their discussion. Two machines that probably, well, not machines, but you know what I'm saying. It's, <laughs> this, He's alive, damn it. He is. Okay. He's yeah, that's right. He watches. Uh, we, we think he's a man. I am not an animal. I am not a machine. But I mean, Go ahead. Sorry, is, Brian. The, the, and, and I wanted to ask you guys this because it, it, we, you've already kind of made my point for me here in that we've gone off on this tangent without discussing this page. After the first time that you read this page, did you read it, this page from top to bottom every time afterwards? Or did you nope. pretty much finish? I probably skipped it. I probably just skipped it because... Wordy, wordy, wordy. Yeah. Well, it's it. Yeah, I mean, it it is the bookend. 
you know, uh, I guess literally, uh, to the story, I, I just, it, it, you know, it brings us full circle, right? We opened with the Watcher, we're ending with the Watcher, right? Um, to me, though, you could totally remove this page, and I would love, you know, uh, we were t- talking about the movie uh, before we were recording, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love it if the movie ended right there. Right with just the fade to black, right of oh Gene, Gene, you know, and that was it. You don't you don't need this. The gravity of what's happened hits you the first time you read this. Now, obviously, obviously Brian is jaded at this point because he calls it, you know, it's a what what was it? Ink, grease spot, grease spot, grease stain that is Gene. <laughs> The, a- the ashtray that was Gene Gray. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You guys are too funny. Uh, I, you, know, I, you do not need that last page at all. The gravity hits you. It's awful. You know, Cyclops just saw, you know, the woman he loves, ob- I mean, obliterated in front of his eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much worse it gets other than, you know, if she hadn't been completely obliterated it's, and there were chunks. It's a gut punch. It is. Oh, it's horrible. The ultimate gut punch, you know, especially if you're a kid and your hormones are raging you're you're sitting there in that moment going no 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 no. Mm-hmm. Well, this, that, that, I that, wish that, they would have ended it with that instead of the watcher page. If yeah. they just would have had a black page, that would have been nice. Page. Yeah, that would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Well, this 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 final page of the watcher is a little bit of a you see here, Timmy. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's explaining what you just you just right. read, and, yeah. and, and I don't know if they, robot. Right, I don't know if they don't. They don't give the reader enough credit, or it's like, well, I need to explain to you, you know, children that are reading this, uh, what just happened. Here's the, you know, the emotional uh, weight of the story. My, my question is, if you delete this page, do you delete his introduction, or can you leave that at the beginning of the book? You know, for me, this looking it over again, I don't even see the point of the Watcher in this entire thing, except as the maybe the fu to shooter for making them change the story ending. That could be it. And well, it was already established by now, right, that if the Watcher was president, something big was happening. Yeah, I suppose. But, I mean, looking at this last page, and I've just kind of scanned over it, I'm like, it is totally not needed. Uh, like you said, David, it should have just ended with oh, Gene, Gene, and then that was it. Yep. Next issue, um, next issue of the Uncanny right. Elegy. Yeah. You know, that's it. <laughs> The X-Men at the Carnival. Uh, well, it was funny, it was, it was the funeral. It was the yeah. funeral issue, you know, which was a very powerful issue. And yeah. I'm just thinking a lot of this stuff is just maybe they're trying to moralize why they did what they did so that they can get out of – so they could appease Shooter who said that there had to be some recompense or some some consequence for what she did to the, to the, the Bari system. Otherwise, um, I just think it's more powerful at the end with just ending with the way with the the previous page. That's a very, very powerful ending. I I think including the the watcher, it might have been a kind of a poke in the eye to to shooter. But it was to me, it seems like they're trying to give the story a little more gravitas, try to elevate a little bit. Yeah, uh, make it more about it. It takes away from the impact of her death because now it pulls you into the epilogue and it's like, I don't need an epilogue. Here I am. I'm yeah. breaking my heart because Jean just sacrificed herself 
it's this emotional ending and now we're yeah. just going to go with all this dialogue but and, mm-hmm. yeah and this is Kirk Spock and McCoy back on the bridge as they're charting course away to another planet yeah. oh no no it's, it's not the happy one it's you talking about Star Trek 2 or, or <laughs> a spot yeah, there you go there you go Star Trek 2 yeah. yeah but you know it's it's funny because the, the very last line of, of dialogue that he's got there Jean Grey could have lived to become a god but it was more important to her that she die a human and it, that, that, that echoes of me of Man of Steel issue 6 the very last page where he's sitting there saying, you know, it's Krypton that made me Superman, but it's, you know, it's Earth that makes me a man or Earth that makes me human, something along those lines. It's just, it's funny that, you know, it is, as, as Byrne has been critical of Claremont's, you know, dialogue, that uh, the, the two lines of, of uh, dialogue remind me of each other. And, and you know what, for me, that, that, that last bubble that you just quoted, mm-hmm. that could have been the, the very final uh, box of this issue where we know it's the watcher saying saying it but it's just that final bubble because with with uh cyclops here at the ashtray scene with that button, <laughs> Jeez. i know aren't we terrible with, a woman the, just died with the remains of here and if you would have just been had enough space to to just include that box there that says Jean Grey could have lived to become a god. I mean, that's a very important, that very, very, very last sentence is actually quite, sums up the entire character of Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It was yeah. more important for her to die than to be the god. Well, the goddess they read a that, whole page of garbage to get to that. Well, yeah. They could have had this page black and had that exactly. as a capture or something. With her, with her logo. Yeah. Do, do do any of you watch Agents of Shield right now? Are you, no. any of you watching the current season? I stopped. Fell off. There's About a character a that's on there that I, I I could swear it is the recorder in Human Guys. <laughs> so it's like I, I did, that's that's what I always think of when I'm watching. Is that the recorder? Know. You know, I I keep I keep bouncing this idea and, uh, that you guys threw out there about, you know, could you take the Watcher out of the book and affect anything? And as as someone who likes the Watcher showing up in comics, but more so in the background, mm-hmm. or when he's acknowledged by another character where they go, oh, you know, the Watcher's here, right? Like something bad is going to happen, or something big is going to happen, but he doesn't actually say anything. Right? He's just there. I think you, to answer your question, you could. You could take off that first page, wouldn't stop anything, right? You just open up on the X-Men, right? In just being teleported from Earth, then the page where Wolverine has the interaction with the Watcher, he you could take that out and he just bops from one place to the other, falls out, you know, through the the door into Storm or the scroll, and that doesn't yeah. affect it at all, right? And you take out the last page, I yeah, I think you could totally oh, yeah. run- from this book, and it would not change a thing. Yeah, no, you're 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 correct there. You could do that. I mean, it's just you know the device adding it, adding gravitas to the story. But well, doesn't like he do it. the? Doesn't he do the same thing in the Trial of Galactus? Doesn't he have the Watcher come and get burned himself? Yeah, the Watcher does uh, go to get burned, but it's, I don't think. Um, see, now I have to pull that one up. What eighty four or eighty five? No, not that late. I I was in the Navy in eighty 
five, so this definitely came out. The Travel Galaxies definitely came out before that, so it must have been around eighty three. Uh, I hope anyway. Maybe it was. I don't know. I'm getting there. That's about the middle. I want to say it's about the middle of his run. Yeah, it was about but, the middle of the run. Yeah. Uh, two sixty one. Yeah, two sixty one is the search for Reed Richards. Yeah. And, I uh, I think the reason this page sorry the reason this page doesn't work is because the you've got two completely detached people. <laughs> from this, right? You've got the android saying, but father, I don't understand why life form die. Why why not get up? And the watcher says, you see right. here, Timmy. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and he's so unemotional about it. You know, maybe if they had simply changed this around and had Professor X, right, giving us kind of the, the full weight of what happened. Um, you know, not the same dialogue, although you could modify it probably pretty easily. You probably could. I, mean, I think you could have Professor X and Leandra having this conversation, modify it, and, yeah. and you could have the same. Because what it happens is you, you end with, with you know, Scott basically, you know, just sobbing himself, to, you know, his eyes out when he's, you know, crying for Gene. Yeah. It's a very emotional spot. And then the next page is kind of like a, a wet blanket on top of that. It's just... <laughs> It just, it just, it just kind of you throw water on something. It just uh, stops. It kind of stops it cold, like you said, because you've got these two detached, unemotional mm-hmm. people who are just who are observers, and they're kind of they're they're they they are explaining it for the audience, for the reader. And and you know we didn't need that because we had the entire four we had or five pages. To me, it just really like I love what you just said, Brian. It throws a wet blanket on. That was Tim. The, or Tim. Oh, Tim. Sorry, sorry, Tim. Uh, it throws. Brian never says stuff so profound. Yeah. It throws. Uh, it throws a wet blanket on the the power and the impact of the final three pow- panels. Yeah. All that they needed to say from the Watcher was that last bubble. To me, that's the most important. That's the only thing I care about. What the Watcher said in this entire page is that last bubble. Yeah, but even, even if it was just a, a black page, or it just completely, could, maybe it showed other panels of the entire X Men and the Shi'ar and the Imperial Guard uh, bowing their heads in mourning, and then ending with that panel where maybe it's just nothing but the Watcher looking at the Earth with that panel with that bubble would have been would have been more poignant. But all of this text here, I, of course, I don't. Re- Looking at it now, I think it's superfluous. Back then, I don't know if I even cared about it, but I was more focused on that final panel on the page previously. By the way, the watcher in that last panel looks like he's getting ready to open up a rock concert. <laughs> <laughs> For those who are back to rock, we salute you. <laughs> right. By so the way, what, ends... the watcher's vo- what does the watcher's voice sound sound like in your your guys' head? I never thought about it. I guess it's uh, I, I, it's it's kind of a little more grandiose, Ted Knight. Ted uh, say that. Ted. I, I hear some kind of a British voice, like a or maybe like a Morgan Freeman. <laughs> there would be a lot of super, <laughs> a lot more MFs in there than. Yeah. <laughs> but that's if Sam Jackson that's did it. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> oh, Samuel Jackson. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be great. So that thus ends the Dark Phoenix saga. I, I, uh, I could actually see um, 
Lawrence Fishburne doing it like he did Silver Surfer. He'd be more he could do it. Yeah, like Fishburne could do it easily. Yeah. So 138, um, just briefly, was the epilogue of epilogues, the funeral scene, a complete recap of the entire X-Men history, which is actually really kind of cool. Even as a follower of the X-Men for, what, five years now, mm-hmm. that I thought this, because it really brought in a lot of the Silver Age stuff that I had probably had no access to. Uh, because I didn't have back issues at that point as easily read uh, available as now, um, but knowing all of them. So it was a really cool issue to bring in all of the stuff that uh, was all about the X-Men history complete. I mean, this is a really great who needs who, who, who's who when we have X-Men 138 up to this point. Oh, but it, it ticked me off so bad. Really? You know, 138 in? Yeah, but I mean, not, not for the reasons that you'd think. I mean, the thing is, is that it, it sit there and showed me images of characters that I wanted to know so much more about, like Mimic. They didn't cover at all, you know, uh, everything that went on with Mimic. They just had a picture of him in there. But he was like, wait a minute. He's got beast feet. He's got wings. He's got Cyclops, you know, mm-hmm. he's, like he's got Cyclops blast. What's the deal with this guy? Yeah, you exactly. Know, it, 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 and and I'm I'm just like I, I want to know. And you know I've never seen the Juggernaut. And I, aside, you know, we had I hadn't seen a Sentinel yet either. Really. Was it so was it really because you didn't win the Toys R Us shopping spree? <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I, uh, I know. Anyway, and then it ends with the hopefulness of. Of spoilers, Kitty Pride showing up at the X Men's mansion and no one being there because they were at the funeral. And the final panel of that is her sitting at the the steps waiting to uh, join the uh, the mansion, the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. So awful disco outfit or whatever. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with a little beret and, and bell uh, bottoms. Yeah, she got the got the bell bottoms going, man. That's um, yeah. Hey, and her, and one thirty-eight for those who have it in their in their trade trade uh, collections or whatever. All I see is ITC. Uh, does that mean that her tank top said something else? <laughs> <laughs> what was oh. what was written on her shirt that would say, say ITC? It said Ditko. Ditko. Okay, that's not a K though. <laughs> Anyway, so that that ends the uh, the Phoenix saga and uh, and quite a quite a saga it is. But that's not all that we're going to cover here. So we what's have next? so much more to cover. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Coming up, we'll be covering uh, Phoenix: The Untold Story, and yes. there are actually two other what if stories. Where what what if the Phoenix had lived? And um, so it, we may may have to discuss how we want to handle that. I don't know that we necessarily need to cover them in as in depth as we've done this. Uh, I don't. I think we can story. do a kind of a cursory covering of those. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, um, we're, we're gonna kind of get together offline and figure all that out. But yeah. those things are definitely coming down the line. I I'm almost of the mind to actually cover 138 
um, as as you know the the next full issue that we do. I don't know what you guys think about that, but you know it's the end of this. I mean, it is the true end bookend of this story with you know Cyclops leaving the X Men. Nobody likes funerals. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's just you know that's a thought. Uh, I'd like to know what you guys think. Uh, I'm okay with it. Whatever you want. Yeah. All right. Well, so, um, so do you guys feedback. have anything else you want to say about uh, this story up to now? Because, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how it affected us back then. But I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about what that did. You know, I, again, I've, I've mentioned in the past how it created this, this true hatred for Mastermind uh, more than any other character out there. As I, I felt that he was as responsible for her death as anyone else. And this was the the second comic book death that I'd seen myself. The first one being Iris Allen in the mm. pages of the Flash. Right. And that was just like I don't know, a couple months, maybe a year earlier than this. Um, but this was like, and and again, you know, I I hadn't been reading X Men that long. I started at one thirty two. Um, but you know, the the stretch out of the months for one thing, the reading of the um, the uh, other stories in the Amazing Adventures also gave me a, you know a little bit more background on her. Uh, but it made me, I think, attached to it so quickly and so much more. And then of course there was all the melodrama of the relationship between Scott and Jean that uh, that 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 made it important because Cyclops was a character I could definitely identify with, especially as a young man. Well, I, I think I've probably read the X-Men longer than all of you. My first my first off-the-stand edition was X-Men 107. Mm-hmm. And that was at the beginning of the Macron Crystal Saga, the introduction of the Imperial Guard slant Legion of Superheroes. And then from that, I was able to get a couple of months back, but not very many because it was bi-monthly at the time. And I was... and once comics were off the the racks, they were pretty much gone until you could find them in a used bookstore or something. Mm -hmm. And so the all new, all different X-Men as they were known at the time were just for me, the coolest group of superheroes. The Avengers were also pretty cool. And the Legion of superheroes were my go-to for groups. And all of this time we Claremont had really done such a great job at building characterization with the characters. So you actually started even even for a let's see so that would have made me what 11 when I started reading and man you just started caring for them. So by the time we got to this point mm-hmm. to where they killed off Jean Grey, it was like I can't believe you did this. I really can't. I was furious. Uh, what could I do to write, to, to, to show my displeasure, to show how, I mean, th- just the emotion that this death brought. Because back then, superheroes, when they died, they were not just brought back whenever. It's not like today where, well, whatever, okay. Oh, you killed Captain America? Okay, I'll wait for a year. I know he's going to come back. I don't care. There's no impact for a death of a superhero today. There was then, until they brought her back. <laughs> well, but. And, and, and you know, this is the 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 problem with us as comic book fans. the The guys that were creating comic books thought they had a shelf life uh, of readers of five years, basically oh. like from thirteen to eighteen, and then boom, they go off to girls. 
Yeah. And for and it was some basically reason, from like eight to thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, but the um, the either the writers changed or we changed in that seventies and eighties era. And I think Marvel is, is is the reason why Marvel Comics is the reason why they so. were growing and changing with us. Peter Parker, you know, he started off as what fifteen, sixteen years old. And he grew up with us. He went yeah. to college, and he graduated high school, went to college, and, you know, you saw some steady progression, and so you felt like it was okay to stay with it. Though some people kind of look at you sideways, but you just mm-hmm. said, no, get away. But my father, my father was of that. He was born in the 20s, late 20s, so he totally did not understand me reading comic books at 13 years, 14 years old. Because when he was a kid, that was for seven, eight-year-olds reading uh, Flash Gordon, and then that was it. You know, by the time you became 12, you were out running paper routes or stuff. So he totally did not understand or understand why I wanted to keep them. Did he well, ever understand yeah. it, though? No, I, I, I don't think he did. He he died in the early 90s. But, oh, uh, you know, I just don't think that he he understood because it wasn't – the comic books that he grew up with, like like you said, it was just such a, a a temporary throwaway thing. I mean, most kids in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s did not keep comic books for longer than two months or they could trade them for marbles or trading cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, roll them up in the back of your pocket and run around on your bikes. I mean, uh, I mean, I used to keep them in little stacks on my uh, in my room. You know, so, uh, and and maybe it was just me. I don't know. Uh, I grew really attached to these folks, these characters. Uh, they meant a lot to me. They were, they were cool. I created my own stories. My friends would come over, and we would just uh, create our own interest about them and read about them and and just talk about how cool they were. It was just so, you. None of what? us ever did that. It was just you. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so I. I it was really the... potent when 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 somebody <laughs> truly quote unquote died in a comic book. It was like, oh my gosh, wow, this is really something. Uh, for me, I read these in reverse order, so um, you know, going backwards because uh, I didn't have the luxury of reading these new author stands because I was like one year old. <laughs> um, I I I started with Jim Lee's X-Men or I should say kind of the end of the uncanny and then the launch of um Jim Lee's X-Men and then went backwards so one of the first story arcs I got um again from those massive you know quarter boxes or 50 cent boxes at the at the comic book store on Sundays was um Phoenix Rising because at that time it hadn't been that long you know it was only like four or five years old and nobody really cared uh, you know because gene was back and you know the story had been told so i i uh was directed to those and then read i think it started with avengers and then went to fantastic four and then x factor one yeah yep um so uh, reading that story then made me want to understand. Well, one because you know it was it, the story itself. You know, you go into the comic book store when you're twelve, uh, twelve years old, and you hear you know these much older 
guys talking about, you know, like, oh, that story sucks, and somebody else saying, no, it's good, and, you know, she's not dead, and blah, 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 um, made me want to go back then and, and read, you know, what, what happened to Gene. You know, of course, they gave me the Cliff Notes version, but I hadn't read the whole thing yet. So um, I don't think this story misses a beat at all, even now. Um, I think we, in the first episode, talked about and it's very hard for books that are 40 years old to still be relevant, you know, readable um, for the dialogue to connect with you uh, now. And same for the art. Uh, you know, I think there's very few exceptions. There's some, you know, really st- stellar Marvel work around this time, you know, the X-Men included in that. Um, but this is a story that I still feel you can give to anybody they can read it and it works. It still works. It tells a complete story. You get the emotional beats. You get the great art. Um, and yeah, it hit me. It hit me then in my teens. And when I read it now, I still enjoy it. And I've loaned this trait out many, many times. Uh, and and I haven't had anybody tell me that they didn't like it. You know, mostly it's well, what about this and what about that. You know, the same thing that we've done over this course of our five or six hour discussion about. Uh, you know, what really is a tiny amount of issues in the grand scheme of the X-Men, uh, but there's just so much there to talk about. Um, it's it's great. Yeah. I, I kind of came about, I didn't read it in reverse, but I, I, I got into comics late. I didn't get start getting a comic until I was 17, 18, so uh, when I had a job and had some money so I could buy them, but uh, so I was was reading when I first started kind of getting into it I gravitated towards Marvel and I started reading FF and it was about the middle of Burns run so it was probably 80 83 84 and of course reading Burns stuff I wanted to get anything else that was burned and and, and this is just a kind of a story that's if you're into comics just floats around you know of it you know so I found the the trade paperback that covers this read that front to back many times and then was slowly collecting some of the issues. Uh, so to me, and then not too long after that, they brought her back. So to, even though it had only been about four or five years, to me, she'd been dead for forever. And now suddenly she's we're bringing her back. She'd been, like she'd been dead for, like from the '60s, and they're bringing her back. And then that got me into uh, X Factor, and I started reading that. So that's right. I never, it, it you know, I, I wasn't. I didn't read these in a run, so I wasn't as emotionally uh, attached to it uh, as some of you guys were. But it's still, as you said, it's it, it holds up today. It's an emotional story. It's uh, very satisfying. Uh, it takes its time. It develops the characters. It's not a like a, a three issue, four issue miniseries. It it, it it builds up over. I mean, if you read these as, in issues, it'd be what this is what from 108 to now so that's two years worth of reading that you've spent with these characters reading them once a month so that's you know that'll take a toll on you by the time it's over it's like it's actually longer than that because they were bi-monthly for a while so it's even longer than that so it's it's yeah. it's like suddenly it's it's kind of like if you ever read a really good book and you get to the end and you're like <laughs> oh uh, you know, yeah. and, you, and you're kind of sad. You're like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get time to spend time with these characters again. 
And then there's also kind of a, a relief of like you've been holding your breath for a while, then suddenly you're like, ah, oh, I can breathe again. So it's 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 kind of a release, and that's why uh, I think you said you could you could show this to anybody, and it would uh, uh, it, I think it holds up wonderfully. Now, I mean, it, if the even if the art was mediocre, the story's still great. But it's just that it's like a perfect storm. It's it's perfect perfect story, perfect art, and it's just kind of those rare instances where uh, it kind of elevates itself above what it is. I agree. It was, I mean, it's truly one of those things where all these parts that came together and all the events that went around it, whether it's Shooter, the editors, Byrne and Claremont, you know, butting heads or whatever, they truly, the, the, the whole was greater than the sum of the parts, and they made something that is, as you guys have already said, timeless. <laughs> Because here we are, nearly 40 years later, and it just looks like something you could pick off the shelf today and you would read. At least I would read it. And I do read this once a year, maybe. Pull it off the shelf and look at it once every, you know, 16 months or so. And I still enjoy reading it. Even though I know it's coming up, I still really, really enjoy reading it. It's a Um, great story. Great art. And how this experience with us is going to affect your ability of reading that every year, because we've gone into it in such in depth, you know, in in, in, in such detail of it. I wonder if it, if that's going to affect your ability to reread it. You know, I think what it's what it will do for me personally mm-hmm. is have me look at the different things we've talked about and look at uh, some of the more behind the scenes things that I haven't really looked at before and. I don't think it's going to hurt me. I, like you said, it's timeless. I love I love the different aspects of it. It's something that I look forward to reading. Uh, it's kind of like sharing your favorite movie with somebody. Yeah. You've seen yeah. it, you know, a hundred times, like Terminators or Star Wars. You know, you watch, or Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein's <laughs> a good one, too. Ace Ventura. Um, you're always going to find something new or somebody's going to, say something that you know or point something out that you didn't notice before like the number 500 in the rubble yep. um you know that you've read it a million times and you've never noticed it or they um you know help you um connect you know some dots that you didn't before um i know personally for me uh i've enjoyed the discussion a lot not just because i like talking about comic books which I do, uh, but because, you know, hearing your, your all's opinion about, you know, well, why did they take this direction or why do you think they made this choice? Kind of like the discussion about the watcher here <laughs> right in this last one. Like, why did they put the big ball baby in uh, <laughs> the rock star baby? You know, why they put him in, the, you know, it does he need to be there. Could you take him out? You know, like that's I mean, that's I never thought about that. And all the times I've read it, like, oh, do you think the Watcher really needs to be here? Well, you know, could if you took yep. him out, could you take him out, and the story would still be fine? Like, <laughs> yeah. I never thought about that ever. Me too. So I've, I've really enjoyed it, yeah. and I encourage anyone who's you know, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I've listened to a ton of podcasts about books that I've never read, and I go, oh, you know what? You know, after listening to somebody talk about it, I go and find it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's you know, if it's some really expensive book, I'll find the trade, or if it's you know, uh, reasonable single issues, I'll hunt them down and then read them that way. I really do hope for those that are listening and haven't read this story, do yourself a favor, 
we we've talked um, I think in every episode about how this has been reprinted a ton of times. Uh, there's a new printing out there now that you can get, you know, off Amazon or go to your local comic book store, you know, pick it up and and read it. You know, it costs you 15, 20 bucks. And affordably. They're yeah, affordable. Oh, they yeah. are. Unless you're like John and you get the super deluxe edition that comes with a sample of John Byrne's hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it really is. It's it's one of those it's one of those stories that, yes, it's a classic. But it's it's a story that is written and drawn in such a way that, as we've all said, it doesn't show its age. You know what? Maybe that will change ten years from now. We'll all go, oh, you know, look, you know, this, it hasn't, um, you know, done well here ten years later. But I think at this point, after nearly forty years, the fact that it's still enjoyable, still holds up, even with as good as modern comics are uh, in the art. Uh, you know, we can get into a whole discussion about the writing changes that have happened since the story, uh, but it, it's good and it's and it's inexpensive. This isn't a you know a hundred dollar omnibus that you got to buy to get this, or one of those classic you know golden or silver age stories. That I don't know about you guys. You go and you pick one of those up and you read it, and it can be rough. <laughs> some of that stuff, you know, it's just not. It just it was written for a different time, kind of like John talking. You know about his dad. You know the comics then were different than the comics John was reading, and you would think that maybe this story would fall into that because it is 40 years old. It was written at a different time, um, different sensibilities, but uh, it, it it really doesn't suffer at all, and it and it's aged very well. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Well, so Brian, what else? Comments. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk well, about, let's talk about co- that because we're pushing three hours. Do we yes. want to hold our comments until our our next little wrap up issue just, uh, e- episode, or you want to go through go through them kind of well, quickly I, right now? I, I say we should get at least three or four in. All right, um, we can do that. So who wants to grab the first one? I will. I will. I'll grab the first one because <laughs> it's really really short. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I actually uh, went out on Facebook uh, a while back and asked, you know, wh- you know, how everybody experienced the Dark Phoenix saga, and uh, I got a lot of responses. And we'd already read uh, a couple of, uh, previously from Rob Liefeld and uh, what was it, John Elisea. Um but we've got some others here, and I, I disseminate them here to the team. <laughs> to, to you know, see if we can go through a couple of these and, and read them out. Some of them are really, uh, some of them are long, some of them are short, some of them are uh, rather interesting. So the first one comes from uh, Kevin Oliphant, and he simply says, My first X-Men was issue 135. My second was 138. I was freaking out that I missed it. <laughs> oh, Wow. And, and just sit can you imagine think, going from one? You went from one thirty-five <laughs> to one thirty-seven. Can you imagine going to one thirty-eight? It's like what the heck? It's like and watching what, the first five minutes of the movie and the last five minutes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the last five minutes has a recap of everything. <laughs> Damn it! Except Kevin, for a little bit there. Yes, we do. We do. Okay, who wants uh, the next one here? I got it, Bobby uh, Bermea wrote us and said, I read it as it came out. It wasn't just the best series of comics I'd ever read. It was one of the most powerful works of art I'd ever encountered. Month after month, it was one nail-biting cliffhanger after another. 
It's hard to understand now, but at the time, no one knew the story was going to end in 137 or how it was going to end. And to me, always, Gene dying was the only way to go. Uh, it was what a story like that needed, the only ending worthy. Gene's death was high tragedy. It's been ruined by everything since, but at least <laughs> I was there for those moments. Magnificent. Wow. Doesn't pull his punches, does he? No. Uh, and, and, you know, he and Bobby here is the one that, that put the, the great quote um, about Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> that I had mentioned earlier, where it says basically everybody's playing chess and Daenerys is playing Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. I tell you, and... And like with the continuing the Game of Thrones things, it's like all of a sudden you see a sequel and then Cersei shows up. It's like what you know? It's like wait, you know? I, I don't know. I agree with yeah. Them. It'd be like it'd be like watching the first uh, episode. That's a season eight, and then watching the second to the last where she's destroying the city. Be like wait a minute, what happened in between? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. It. Yeah. He's he's got some good points there. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'll read the next one. All right. Neil Brower. Mm-hmm. Uh, read it first run, and it became part of my life. I had never seen anything like it and still haven't to this day. I think it really made a difference having to wait a month between issues. The whole Burn Austin run blew me away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I agree with that because, again, you know, with, sit, sitting there thinking back to being 13 – and reading this, and my collection was nothing like it is today, obviously. And so you go back and you reread these over and over and over as a kid, you know, because you don't have that large a collection. You don't have all those other books to sit there and look at and go, well, this month I'll binge read, you know, 100 issues of Captain America. You can't do that back then. No, you can't. That's what pocketbooks are for. Exactly. Hey, hey guys, and I'll tell you, anything that had Burn Austin on it, Mm-hmm. You bought. Yep. It didn't matter if it was something you collected or not. It was just like, oh, it's John Byrne and Terry Austin. I'm gonna get it. I don't care what it is. If it's, if it was, I don't know, Bugs Indiana Bunny, Jones. I would have bought it, <laughs> be, just because it was Byrne Austin. I knew it was gonna be awesome because the art was so good at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so who's reading this really, really long one? I'll read it. Okay. From Doug, Doug Douglas Eugene Rockstead. Hey, Doug. Hey, junior. junior, 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 sorry, junior, okay, yeah. sorry, Junior. So it's not his dad talking. <laughs> yeah, I read it real time. I was blown away. Having been sucked into the X-Men with issue 128, final issue of the Proteus saga, that blew my mind. Me too, let me tell you, Doug. Uh, I had no idea what I was in for. I had ignored the book on the racks, and a friend from an older sister was missing issue 128, asked me if I could help him find it. I said, sure. Bought 128 and was just blown away by the story, the scripting, and most importantly, that beautiful Burn Austin artwork. Immediately after, I was scurrying around trying to buy back issues. Lucky for me, my older sister's friend, Gabriel, lent me the issues I needed to catch up and even traded an issue for 109 uh, for that missing issue 128 he needed. The wait from issue to issue was agonizing. Yes. And I can totally identify with that, Douglas. <laughs> it was agonizing. So, if you want, want to go on with the rest of his stuff, he, he eventually compares to a lot of other storylines that were quite awesome, awesome, like Micronauts, New Teen Titans, 
the Avengers era when Byrne was drawing those. Or Perez was drawing them too, yeah. And Perez, Fantastic Four, uh, Marvel 2-in-1, which actually was quite good. He had, uh, Byrne also was doing some team-ups, Marvel team-ups, which were really good. Uh, Rom, Peter Parker, Iron Man, and he said, I could go on, but this is a great time to start reading comics. And the Dark Phoenix saga is was the cream of the crop. And I will posit that it is still the cream of the crop. Yeah, I yep. agree. And I couldn't believe they killed Phoenix. I couldn't believe my favorite X-Men Cyclops would leave. There was so much build-up and anticipation. It was a beautifully executed story and would not have had the impact it had if Shooter had not intervened, mandated the death of Jean Grey. Okay. I had recently read the Adam Warlock saga, thanks to a friend, at that culminated in the pages of Avengers Annual number seven, Marvel Team Up Annual number two. I didn't think that story could be topped. It blew my eleven year old mind. <laughs> so But it was. That was the peak of Marvel Comics right there and has never achieved that level of significance since. It will be hard to replace that era Dang. for this old man. I I can't say more than I agree with you, Douglas. I'm an old man that thinks the same way. Even though there's some great stories that come out now. All right, our next one comes from Joel Biskey. And uh, Joel says, My first issue is 138. So that had me searching my yellow pages for comic stores, not even knowing they existed. And it got 133 through 137. Even seeing the recap first, it changed my life in a way nothing other than Star Wars did. Those two things are the reason I'm a professional artist today. And I looked up Joel in IMDb and saw that he'd worked uh, on The Princess and the Frog, uh, Lilo, Lilo and Stitch, and, a bro and Brother Bear. And he's also apparently done art, art on a number of uh, cards, much like Magic the Gathering and such, those types of uh, cool. card games. So, cool. uh, yeah, Joel's uh, an artist out there, and, and he's got some really cool organic stuff that's, uh, that's pretty neat. He's got, got a lot of skins on the wall. Hmm. Oh, so awesome. thanks, Joel. Man, grease stains, grease stains, skins on the wall. <laughs> you just love my analogies, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> They're very violent. Brian's going off real Dauber vibe tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got some skin lamps laying around. <laughs> uh, Cassius Coleman writes, The writing, character development, and the overall execution was handled so well, it was hard not to be moved in some way. I think if it was the progressive fall of Jean Grey that was so compelling. I was fairly new to the X-Men at the time, hardly knew any of the characters as I would come to later. The deft writing and excellent Burn Austin visuals carried us all away. I have to agree with you, Cassius. The storytelling was great. The artwork was fantastic. We've, all, we've already pointed out several times where we needed no words because the art was telling the story right along, but that does not diminish the part of the storytelling from Claremont. Man, mm -hmm. what a great what a great combination of art and words to effect something so deeply in an epic volume of 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 storytelling that for most of the times is collected from 128 through or I'm. Um, I'm sorry, 129 through 137 or 138, but actually really began uh, uh, six or seven issues earlier uh, with just a few subtle lead-ups into that point. 
And it would be cool if they would collect those as part of a trade paperback to show the progression of it. But it just shows that this was not just a a exploded out there. This is the thing. It was a buildup of of uh, and a and a changing of an of an entire character that people for a long time who had been reading the story were like, what? What's going on here? And uh, culminating with the, with her her sacrifice that was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. It was really invigorating. Yep. Thomas, uh, Thomas Hazel wrote us and said, uh, I wrote it as it came out, uh, and at the end of 137, I was devastated. A lot of these, a lot of, notice all these people have all read it uh, in real time. Mm-hmm. Phoenix was my favorite character by then. I thought they would somehow redeem her when they killed her. I cried. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, don't think you're alone there, Thomas. A lot of people got a little emotional when she died. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Except for Brian. Wow. Calls it a grease spot. <laughs> Brian's cold-hearted. That's right. Yeah, but Tim called it an ashtray at the end, so <laughs> I did do that. And Brian guys, was more if, worried about who's going to mop it up. If you've, if you've been listening to me these these last four years, and then this uh, next month will be four years that Tim and I've been doing this show. It's like congratulations, yeah. fellas. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. You guys have got six episodes out. We'll almost get it right. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the one thing you've learned about me is I cry like Dick for meal. I mean, you, you you say Brian, I'm feeling, and I the tears just start welling up. <laughs> so, yeah, no, this uh, this really hit me hit me hard mm-hmm. uh, as a young kid. And yeah, there was there was tears definitely. And um, you know, as as you guys were sitting there talking about certain things leading up to that death of Gina, I just started to get a little choked up somewhat. <laughs> and you know, I. I, I just hope that one day someone will play this back and give me an award for it. I'm just kidding. Hey, if you're doing this for rewards, I'm sorry. You're <laughs> I'm in the wrong place. You're, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, uh, should I do Steven Sash Scott? You can do Sash, yeah. Do Steven Sash. Okay, I read it when it came out. I started collecting Uncanny X-Men at issue 112. I was captivated by the different nationalities, diversity of the group. While the Fantastic Four were a family by blood, the X-Men were a family by circumstances of genetics. The deepening relationships and ominous portents gripped me as a member, as the member they all loved. And I remember from Son of Origins and Marvel Comics that Xavier had a secret love for her too back in the day. Was spiraling out of control because <laughs> yeah. she had sacrificed herself to save them all in issue 101. She had lost control before and wreaked havoc in space. Now they had to fight for her against the Imperial Guard. Her final sacrifice was a total shock to me as I was hoping that somehow she would gain control of the Phoenix. But bang, right in front of the man she loved, tore my heart up. I love that run. Agreed. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. Sash. Thanks, Sash. Thanks, Sash. (laughs) I love that run. All right. Um, Do we want to stop here? Sure. How much more do we have? Yeah, we got. Yeah, you want to? Well, want to read that last? Oh, that's, that's one more. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good one to stop on. Stop on Sash. Okay, we'll pick up on that uh, on the other ones next time. So next time. <clears throat> copyright Andy <laughs> This is not the end. We have so much more to talk about because it's such a cool run. Yes. Um. So we're talking Phoenix: The Untold Story, and. It's not your typical comic book. Uh, it does, of course, uh, 
print the original version of X-Men 137. And as we discovered, as we looked into it, there's a lot of dialogue changes, not just, you know, the, what, what goes on at the end, but there was dialogue changes through all through the book and some panel changes. So this will be a lot of fun to, to look at, but uh, we're just going to try and figure out how we're going to handle the uh, synopsizing and, and the, the other minutiae as we go into it. But um, we'll get that uh, figured out on our own, and you guys will just get a nice new episode. After that, uh, we're also looking at, uh, hopefully, uh, by now, you've already heard our review of the X-Men Dark Phoenix movie. And I really hope it doesn't suck. I really hope it's a, it's a decent movie. And, It'll be great. Uh, the best. I, I, I hope it's great. I know it's not going to live up to this. I I, I have no. No, you, in, you can't. Yeah, don't go into it. Don't go into it with that mindset because you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah, but just them naming it Dark Phoenix, it's kind of, it's like they're setting themselves up for a fall. That's that's what what the fear I have in me. Yeah, for me, I'm just I'm just completely divorcing it from this story completely and just going to take it for the cinematic x-men universe that it is and go see that with that expectation because that's the only way that it's going to actually create what it's going to create for that for me i think and i i'm looking forward to it you know it it, it just needs to be a good movie it doesn't necessarily have to hold up to this no i get a good film I, I like what yeah, they've I, done with the characters so far in the films. As far as the cinematic version of the films, they've been fun. The stories have been good. I totally love Peter Dinklage as Trask. That was he was amazing. He was so good. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the film. I'm looking forward to the, to, to giving the film uh, a good shot. It's just I'm gonna go in when I see it to just say, okay, how's it gonna be? Okay, um, a, a couple things that I've gleamed. Uh, they're not spoilers in any way that I can see, but uh, do you guys want to know this? The sure. name of Jess- Jessica Chastain's character. She's the, the, the very white-skinned character we've seen in the previews. And her name is, <clears throat> I'm, I'm assuming... Cecil. Vuk. V is in Victor UK. Vuk or Vuk? Which I have no idea where that's coming. I thought she was I, from this preview. I thought she was going to be the White Queen. But they, well, they already had the White Queen. That was the the gal from Mad Men. You know, she was uh, in the very true. first one. Yeah. That's true. Um, I thought she was supposed to be Lilandra. And um, you know, that's what what the rumor had been months and months ago. Mm. But uh, you know, as, as time went on, it just seemed like now nah, they're not going to do that. They do have Dazzler in the story. Oh, that'd be interesting. It's, um, I've seen this girl in something else. Wait, did you say they have Dazzler in the movie? Oh, she was, uh, Alara Catan in the Orville. Okay. If you watch the Orville, she was the security officer for the first season oh, okay. and a half. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if that's why she left the show. To, to no, have, she, she, had to be she the left film. the Orville because she was, she's in a relationship with Seth MacFarlane. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is weird mm. because uh, Adrian Palicki and the guy that plays uh, Helmsman just got married. Just got married. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're both still on the show. So. Yeah. That's kind of odd. Total side note, yeah. loving Oroville. I think yes. it's, a, it's a very excellent – Seth MacFarlane is doing great on this show. So I like it. It's a lot of fun. And that finale this, this season blew me away. 
the season two finale was just amazing. Did I lose everyone? No, no I'm here. What did you guys know? I don't. I don't. I don't watch it. My wife does, and she likes it. But I hear it's it's the the only true Star Trek on TV right now. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. got such a next gen vibe. Um, you know, I've been able to. Oh yeah. Well, it's at, you've got uh, it's not Iris Stephen Bear. It's a uh, uh, pillar. Yes, uh, Michael Pillar and Michael and Pillar is involved in it, right? Jonathan Frakes has directed several episodes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's got all that. It's it is definitely you know a, a modern take on Next Generation. Uh, it's funny because we'll watch an episode and I said, you know, that episode makes me think of this one and this one, and then I'll show those to my wife, and she still likes the Orville better. Oh, all right. Fun. Well, uh, so I have, I have no idea who. You said Vukas or Vuk or... Okay. Jessica Chastain, she's playing that white character that we've been seeing in the in the previews. Okay. And, you know, there's been all this speculation as to who she was. Most people thought she was going to be Lalandra. Um, but it, it that is not the case. She is called Vuk or Vuk and don't know... She may be, Maybe she's a stand-in for Lalandra. She could be a stand-in for... <laughs> Like the White Queen and Mastermind, because in the co- in the cartoon, the White Queen is kind of take takes Mastermind's. Um, I think she's more uh, responsible for kind of screwing with Jean's head. I, I think, but it, it's probably gonna be an amalgamation of characters that explains her what the Phoenix Force is, and you know maybe she's gonna try to train her or warn her or something like that. It's it's funny though because this movie takes place in 1982, so it's like seven years before the first X Men movie that we saw with you know Hugh Jackman and them, mm-hmm. and they look nothing like Xavier and Magneto. Do not yeah. you know they, Xavier's they, they gonna look so much younger than the, yeah he's gonna age a lot between those two films. <laughs> oh well, that's that's funny. Well, uh, has anybody got anything final to say about uh, this monumentous double-sized issue we just covered? It's been a lot of fun to cover it, really. It has been a lot of fun. I've got to say this is probably one of my... If I had to be on a desert island with only one trade paperback, it would want to be this one. Or maybe Crisis on Infinite Earths, but this is really one that's a great story that I really enjoy reading time and time again. Cool. David, you got anything? I was just looking up Vok, because I, <laughs> I I didn't recognize the name. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to do a Google search on this guy. He's a, he's an alien. Mm. Can Wait, shapeshift. It's, it's, ah. Uh, yeah. I'm not really sure how that... Uh, Starhammer? Starhammer? Yeah, I, I don't have to look into that. I, I don't. I don't know how that. Well, the first thing I see is one of the asparagus people. Yeah. Holy cow! <laughs> it is the original asparagus guy from uh, Avengers number four. <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. He is one of the Dabari. Wow! So yeah, yeah, he's going to come in. Who's her? Her planet was destroyed by another phoenix. So now she's come to Earth to warn. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! That, that's all. That's, <laughs> That's all speculation. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, true, true. Man, that's uh, that's messed up. Oh man. All right, well, Brian, you want to take us out? Yeah, it goes no. goes under the moniker of Starhammer. Starhammer. That's Sorry. It. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I was. Yeah, you're right. Current alias is Starhammer. 
So he survived when his planet got schwatzed. And he is pissed off. <laughs> no, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. No, that's all right. Anyway, so uh, we'll be you know back with more Dark Phoenix Saga. You know, this is not the end. It's just the middle. I can't say it's the beginning. But uh, we've also, you know, hopefully we'll have a couple other surprises in there. Maybe a commentary. Who knows? But uh, you'll find out in the next episode of Third Degree Burn. For everybody else, I'm Brian Hughes. Now you guys can talk now. I'm John Hyatt, intern. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) David Thompson, assistant intern. Assistant intern. (laughs) And I am Tim Ashtray Elliott, signing off for Third Degree Burn. (laughs) From all of us, grease stains to you. <laughs> and sugar lips. <laughs> and ashtrays. <laughs> sugar lips, Brian. Sugar lips and ashtrays. That's my next book. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like 10 miles of hard road for a life. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. Good night. <laughs>for listening you can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com that's t-w-o-t-r-u-e-f-r-e-a-k-s.com third degree burn is spelled with the number three r-d-d-e-g-r-e-e-b-y-r-n-e and is part of the tutu freaks network of shows follow us on facebook and twitter just look for third degree burn spelled with the number three and burn spelled b-y-r-n-e Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing.
Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.